think I'm always saying yo when I welcome this song. And then, and then I'm gonna cut that out. Cause I, but that that's how it's been going lately. I'm like yo, and then I it, like it. Okay. Yeah, you gotta keep it. Like Jude does. It, dude, it segues like, nicely from. What's well, uh, even from like in uh, in uh, Biscuit Power when he's like yo. Right, and there's the GB <laughs> logo with the gorilla just saying yeah. yo. All right, that's I think true. it's on brand. It's on brand. Yo, yo, yo. I don't know. I got to work on my yos. Welcome to the Where It Went podcast, where we are discussing the Revelation Records discography in chronological order. We have Greg and our newest addition, permanent fixture to the podcast now. Did you say permanent? Permanent, <laughs> Jason. He's, he, he is he is on a hundred and ten percent of the time. Yeah. Uh, Greg, Greg, what are we talking about this week? Oh man, I mean, I you know I feel like I say it every week, but this is a big one. It is. This is a big one. This is Youth of Today, Break Down the Walls, Revelation number eight. Um, and I know for all of us, this is a a huge record. And it would probably have been interesting if it was just the three of us talking about it, because we know a lot about the record. But we have not one, but two special guests today. Yeah, and the second guest was a, a surprise. I, we to thought all we were us. just going to talk yeah. to one key player, and it ended up in the middle of the conversation that we got a we got, both. We got our own bit of bonus. Two. Yes. Yeah. So we have um, Porcel. Guitar player for Youth of Today for the entire tenure of the of the band. But we also got the legendary Drew Beat uh, of Crippled Youth, Bold into Another. Um, gosh, what else? Walking Concert, Dead Heavens. He's in Dead yeah. Heavens, right? Like yeah, just a ton a of stuff. And and he played on Break Down the Walls, and we got yeah. to talk to him. But so, first, before we get to the interview, we have to. So, I guess the biggest news for us is that by the time this goes live, we will have a Patreon. You want to talk about that a little bit, Javier? Yeah. As I said, I, I posted this on my own personal Facebook. And when we started this podcast, we didn't really... It's like when you start a band. You grab some guitars, you find a place to practice... And then you start writing songs and then you're like, oh shit, this is getting more serious. Like, I need a better guitar. I need a better speaker cable. I need a better head. I need a van so that I can drive around and play these songs. I need studio time, whatever it is. We didn't really understand what the costs of making a quality, and I emphasize quality because we want to make this listenable, interesting, consistent and just something that you can listen to in your car on your headphones on your home on your computer and it sounds good that to me that's the most important thing i if i don't give a fuck how interesting a podcast is if it sounds like shit i won't listen to it and we don't want to deliver that so we decided to make a patreon to help us cover some of those costs um it costs money to even host your podcast. It costs money. We built a website. We have, what else? What other costs do we have? 
um, the hosting of the podcast, mm-hmm. the uh, hosting of using Zoom to record. Mm. Yeah, Zoom. Because if we want to have guests on, we, we, we can't, you know, can't just yeah. use the free version. And then, um, like, we want to get better equipment in the future, new microphones, um, you know, recording software, all this stuff. And it's, man, we just, we decided that we need help with it. Yeah, and, and, if, and even just like you said, Javier, the time. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I can speak from my personal experience. I'm, you know, because of COVID, I'm working from home remotely. And I know Jason knows this because I'm talking to him all day too. But like, I'm working like 12 hour days every day. And then still in my free time, I'm, you know, doing stuff for the podcast because I love it. Like reading, you know, uh, z- old zines and looking at the records. But, you know, it takes a lot of time. And Jason's designing, uh, you know, graphics for every episode you know two different graphics at least i think that the the graphic element really did take this podcast to a level that we weren't expecting either i mean my my good wife heather has been helping us build a website and it was easy for her because the color palette was there we have a brand i could text jason and be like yo i need this component for the website or whatever and it looks fucking professional like if we were in a band this we would we would be in our seven inch phase right now already you know we made a demo and it and we played a couple shows we're in our seven inch phase and we want people to take us seriously so and the more people take us seriously the easier it's going to be for us to have cool guests on that make these episodes way more interesting than just you know us talking about the records yeah so It'll be, uh, it's patreon.com slash where it went podcast, right? That's correct. And we also have where it went podcast.com. And we're going to have some other things in the future. We're working on making a red. I was talking to my wife this morning too. A lot of the mid nineties stuff for rev was done through a message board, right? A lot of the trading and a lot of the communication, people, people discussing, finding new artifacts and shinfo and info about all of these releases and so we want to kind of uh re not reinvent that but like bring that back you yeah, know like we tap want, into the yeah nostalgia almost yeah so, yeah so if you're a patreon any of the levels um you know we have there's four different levels three dollar five dollar ten dollar twenty dollar any of them gets you access to the message board that we're going to get up and running very soon um yeah. you know we already have a couple patrons um, so, you know, bid a bow to anybody who's already contributed or shared. Um, but also I think the biggest thing I want to make sure is even for the, for every level besides the, the $3 one, the, you get access to, we're making a commitment to have at least two bonus. We, I'm sorry, bid up bonus episodes, bonus. um, every month and, these are not going to be throwaway episodes or anything like I can tell you one of them because it's recorded. I think I can say that, right? Yeah, sure. Um, One of them is going to be with the band insight. Mm -hmm. Uh, We talked with Mark and Jeremy from insight. Yeah, which was awesome. uh, A really great conversation. Great guys. Um, I'm excited for people to hear it. And it's, it's like a, an interview just like this, but just, they weren't on revelation. So, you know, right. You know, with the bonus episodes, really the sky's the limit. We don't have, I don't know, we could talk to anybody about anything if we wanted to, but we want to keep it kind of rev adjacent. So right. I would love to talk to 
people who helped people who worked at Rev, people who did artwork for Rev, people who, you know, mm-hmm. uh, oh, just yeah. love Rev. Like we talked about talking to Chris from Saves the Day about Revelation record that right. he liked. You know, things like, like that. Said, like, like, you know, I would love to hit up, you know, my friend Ned Rawson or Ben Rawson, yeah. Idol Fight, like to talk about, Quick you know, sense. even though they have, yeah, like to talk about something different than their own uh, yes. band. Correct. So, there's the the bonus episodes there's a lot of uh room for create not creativity what's like a lot of a lot of leeway there's a lot of leeway and um the patreon tiers can actually get you in on that if you want to you know help with the bonus but yeah and and it's it's kind of destroying a little bit of our the punk ethic i think that was ingrained in us like a it's bad to make money and we're not profiting from this. Like it's, it's not like we're living off of this, but even if we did, so what? Like you sell records, but you're expected to give away a podcast for free. You know what I'm saying? And so no more illegal, no more Napstering our, <laughs> our podcast, you guys. Well, the thing is, is like we said, we want to make this quality. Like I want it to be a podcast where people are looking forward to it every week. Um, not to toot our horn, but I like that we've kept the guests a surprise. Yeah. So like, I want people to be like, I wonder who's going to be on this Wednesday for, you know, uh, whatever the record is. Right. So, and again, but even if we don't have a, even if we don't have a guest, it'll be quality. I want you and I and Jason talking to be able to be worth it to someone to not only listen, but to pay to listen potentially. And so to do that, you know, we need to yeah. take it to the next level. And the, so, and the bonus episodes, I'm telling you right now, because we have other ones lined up yeah. that have agreed, just haven't been recorded. Um, the bonus episodes are, are worth it. Like I said, would I pay to hear these? And my right. answer was yes. So right. that's all I can do. But yeah, so uh, check that out. Patreon.com slash where it went podcast and also where it went podcast.com, which um, if you sign up on our email list on the website, we will send you uh, a list of the Rev discography so you can kind of keep track for, you know. Listen, it was, it was hard. I, it took me almost a week to put together the Revelation discography because Wikipedia is fucking wrong. Kevin Finn put together a really, really nice um, discography, but it's only vinyl. And... Yeah. If you look on the current Rev website, I, I couldn't find a just a complete discography. So I had to cross-reference Wikipedia, KFIN, Rev, Discogs, and I had to get help from Igby to make this. So yeah. it was – and there's still – there's still a, a mystery holes. on there. There's a mystery. Yeah. yeah. There's some um, holes. So if anyone knows, if you're listening and you know, I think luckily those holes aren't for like you know, three years from now or something, but yeah, if you know, but, but, (laughs) but sign up, sign up for the email. We promise not to send you garbage. You'll get the, the discography list. Um, Yeah. We're just going to send updates and we're just going to let you know what we're working on, but we also want to hear feedback. We want to hear from you. So you can also contact us at where it went podcast at gmail.com. We have a phone number set up and I'm not really ready to share that yet because I'm not totally ready to like see what happens from it. But I would love 
to get voicemails uh, and, play in the and play those. Yeah. And we could even have like a bonus episode of just, and I was inspired for that by actually the cold world record because I fucking love those voicemail check-ins and they were inspired by, you know, fucking, I'm sure like De La Soul or yeah. other bit stuff. Bit of cold world. Yeah. Bit of Boat cold world. Bit of Boat Nick Walsh. Nick. All right. Yo, enough of us jibber jabbering. So, so we, as we said, we call this sections, the beginning of the show is going to be called, this is our, where we shout it. Shout we it. Give our bit of bows. I want to give um, a bit of bow. There's a new band from New Jersey, a uh, mm. hardcore band called Reaching Out. Um, they have a, uh, a demo right now that just was released on their band camp. They're really young kids playing fast, straightforward hardcore. It's uh, two girls, two guys. Um, and it's reaching out njhc.bandcamp.com. And they're also second generation hardcore. They are kids, second generation. They're which their is parents. fucking awesome. It's super cool. And, uh, you know, the demo's legitimately good. Like, it's not, they cover side by side, backfire on it. Wow. A really good version. Yeah. Um, so definitely check it out. It's reaching out njhc.bandcamp.com. They have, uh, cd demos but also you can just um buy you know the mp3s if you want and i also want to give a bit of bow for this episode to the seller on discogs uh named peter that when i had bought i wanted to get the um 97 vinyl press of break down the walls you know the with the altered cover oh yeah i know just just, just to have it you know yeah and for research and whatnot and you know, I won the record and he said, well, due to COVID, you know, I'm not necessarily at the post office all the time. And I wrote back, Hey, take your time, but I'm doing this podcast. And, you know, I wanted to use it for research and he said, Oh, okay. And he sent it out the next day. So that's sick. Good bow to Peter. Bow. And uh, yeah. So without further ado, I say we get, get into, into the interview. Here we go. Yeah, let's party. Talk. Yeah, so we're here today with our all of our good friend Porcel, and we're going to talk about break down the walls. And usually, we like to get like a little bit of history leading up to this record. And there was a bit of a lineup change between uh, "Can't Close My Eyes" and "Break Down the Walls." Do you remember anything about like what caused that, and then? what gave you this lineup this fucking wild lineup of richie craig drew and uh you and ray yeah we had um you know we originally had two kids from my high school and in my high school nobody was punk nobody was into hardcore i was literally the only one and i tried to recruit like whoever i could you know what i mean so there was two kids that were kind of interested it was kid graham phillips and um, Darren Pesh, and Graham really got into it. I mean, he was like hardcore to the bone, minor threat, you know, love going to shows. Darren Pesh, little on the sidelines kind of guy, but he, he was actually a decent drummer and he could play thrash, which was like trying to find a needle in a haystack back then to find a drummer who played thrash. 
So we got him in the band, even though we were a straight edge band and he used to smoke cigars. We used to beg him, please don't smoke, guitar, smoke cigars at the Youth of Today show, please. <laughs> so he played, he played with us for like, he only played with us. We started in the summer of 85 and um, we were pretty active that summer. We played the whole summer. And um, then we got that seven seconds tour that was at our first show was New Year's, e New Year's Eve in Reno. And so we were all flying out. And um, right before we were going to fly out, he said, the drummer said, I don't want to do it. This is a pain in the ass. I'm not, I'm not going and doing this tour. We're like, are you kidding me? This is like seven. This is like our dream come true seven seconds tour we're like an unknown band we're getting signed by kevin seconds the positive force and he just punked out and we didn't know what we were doing it was literally like three days before we were going to go on tour we were crushed that we weren't going to be able to do that tour we had shows with social distortion we had shows with youth brigade uniform choice i mean we were dying to do this and so kevin second said hey no problem man come out three days come out uh three days earlier and i'll play drums we're going to seven seconds practice room and we'll learn all the songs, which we did. Kevin Seconds learned all the songs in, in three days and it was awesome. I think that kind of added to the mystique of the band because everybody's like, who the hell is this band with Kevin Seconds playing drums? You know, because they were such a big band back then that, you know, it was like having, I don't know, freaking Chuck Biscuits in the band. Who's a big drummer these days? I don't even know. Sammy. But, Sammy. Yeah. It's like yeah. it's like some unknown band and they have Sammy playing drums. Yeah. Not even Sammy playing drums. It's like some unknown band and like Ray you know, Capo's the playing drums. The, the singer for Half Heart is playing drums. Yeah. Right. Band. Yeah. And that was seven mean? seconds was the crew then too, right? Which was huge. Like that was the newest yeah. thing. Like we're no, walk no, together, that, rock together. It was right after Walk Together, Rock Together came out. Because um Walk Together, Rock Together had pictures of um it had kevin seconds with the violent children shirt on it was right after seven seconds played with violent children so it was a little after that but so pash dropped off our drummer dropped off kevin played drums for that tour and when we got back we we literally had no drummer and then uh graham phillips went to college so that was when me and uh ray moved to new york city and we got tommy carroll playing drums and craig ahead from Straight Ahead. So Straight Ahead basically broke up and those guys joined the band. And then the next summer, the summer of uh, 86, Can't Close My Eyes came out and I booked our whole Can't Close My Eyes tour. And Tommy Carroll went on that tour, man. You know, some people love to tour and some people like touring is just like, they just can't take it. You know, they like being home. They like things organized they like having their room nothing really wrong with that but you know he just wasn't like a pirate like the rest of us <laughs> so he had a real hard time being away from his girlfriend and and not and touring and stuff so he quit as soon as we got home as a matter of fact i think we had a show at cb's and he quit even like right before that show and so we had that show i, I think it was maybe it was in philly we didn't know what we were going to do so we begged drew we're like drew please play the show with us. And he literally learned the set, the whole entire set in like a day. I mean, that kid was, I think he was 14. Yeah, we were gonna ask how young he was. Cause 
you know, everybody talks about Sammy and he gets kind of the like significance of being this young prodigy kid who comes into the hardcore scene, but Drew was also a, a basically a child, right? Drew was 14. I mean, my daughter's 16. And I can't even imagine, like, Drew was 14. Like, that's a tiny little kid. Like, we didn't even realize at the time. That's a child. Yeah, yeah my son's 14. And yeah. I can't imagine being like, all right, you're going to CB's to play, to play a show? <laughs> yeah, Have no, fun. By, your, by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> he, toured, he toured everywhere. With, you know, his mom loved me and Capo. She loved us. She thought we were like, because we didn't drink. Yeah. You know? They were like, oh, my God, these two responsible teenagers. What a great role model for my son. Take my son. <laughs> and so that's when, that's when Drew actually, he didn't join the band, um, but he played a bunch of shows with us. Like, we, we did a bunch of shows with Seven Seconds, and, and we did a whole tour with Seven Seconds that Drew played. So Drew was kind of like our stand-in drummer, but, you know, he was still in high school. He was still in junior high school. And so he couldn't really, you know, we wanted to go on like full tours and stuff. So we knew he was just going to be a fill-in drummer. Um, so Craig was, uh, so Craig was still in the band and we had written all the songs. We were getting ready to do Break Down the Walls. And Drew, uh, and Drew was, was practicing with us. And I tell you, man, that kid was 14 years old. He was a monster drummer at age 14. Like he was like, he was one of those kids that was like 14 years old and like, muscular <laughs> like it was a kind of like a freakish kind of kid and he could hit the drums so hard at age 14 he was like tu, 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 tu. he was fantastic man i mean you listen to the drumming on break down the walls yeah. it's freaking good yeah it's huge great 14 year old kid i mean yeah. it's pretty amazing so we got drew and then we got craig and and richie you know when we moved to new york Richie literally became me and uh, Capo's best friend. Like we just kind of, we, we met him. We just like instantly became best friends. I actually lived with him. Me and him were roommates. So um, we just kind of wanted to get him in the band because he was our friend. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he literally joined the band. I, I'm pretty sure it was the week that we went to record. Mm. So we got him in the band and he came and he, and he like learned all the songs really quick and he actually played on the record. He, he literally joined maybe, maybe five days before we recorded that record. Oh, wow. Had he been, had he played an instrument and a guitar or in a, in a band before that? Yeah. Yeah. He had played guitar for years when he was in high school. He played mm. in all these like rock rockabilly bands. And oh, so he crazy. was actually, he was actually a really good guitar player. Mm. Um, yeah. So, so the picture uh, from break down the walls then like, not him playing with youth of today no that's like, him playing with you oh it is okay i didn't know if maybe it, it was like it was um after after we, before break down the walls came out we did like a west coast weekend type thing mm. and we we played an outdoor show with instead that was our first show that's where we met no actually we met um we met daniel mahoney and the chain of strength guys on that tour with seven seconds okay. but that's when we met instead um you know, we met a lot of those like California people. So was that how you hooked up with Wishing Well then for, for the record? Yeah. Like not there? Like was, were you originally like, oh, we'll do an LP with Kevin Seconds again? Or was that like not an option? Uh, Positive Force was kind of on, our, on their way out. Like Kevin was saying like, it doesn't look like we're going to be a label. We're not really putting out more records. Kevin Seconds actually um, suggested Wishing Well. 
And of course, we knew wishing well. I mean, break uh, um, um, that record. That Unity record came out first, uh, and and so we were like so into that record. To this day, that Unity Seven Inch is probably one of my favorite records. I That's mean, awesome. that thing's incredible. And when we when we went out with Seven with Kevin Seconds playing drums, we played one of those like mega huge shows at Fender's. And um, we opened the show and Uniform Choice played right after us. And this was Uniform Choice firing on all cylinders, like incredible straight edge juggernauts, you know, just like steam rolling over the freaking scene. They were incredible. They were literally freaking unbelievable. So um, we had made friends with them and they were kind of like, you know, there wasn't a lot of straight edge bands. So they were sort of like the big thing on the West Coast. We were like the big up and coming, you know, straight edge band on the East Coast. And so we, uh, we became friends and they said they were, they said they were gonna put out a record. So that's how it came out on Wishing Well. Yeah, every, everything I've heard about Uniform Choice in that time is that they were like unstoppable, right? Uns unstoppable, dude. So did those, did you and Uniform Choice, do you think youth of today and uniform choice like stoked each other's fires and kind of made each other like level up a little bit in that in that early time uh probably although by the time that breakdown the walls had come out they had already kind of like transitioned into being like the cult yeah they were growing their <laughs> hair out and stuff yeah and they would wear like you know we would go to uh you know, we would go for meetings with those guys, you know, talk, you know, give them the pictures and stuff like that. And they'd be wearing like frizzy jackets and like, you know, the big hats. <laughs> so, so, I remember it blew my mind the first time, like, uh, you know, I love Screaming for Change. It's one of my favorite hardcore records ever. It's, incredible record. It's incredible. phenomenal. And I remember there was, I've mentioned before, but we had in Philadelphia, this uh, distribution catalog very, you know, and they, yeah, I mean, yeah, I remember and they, him. they did world, I guess worldwide, but it was based on what, right what, what was that guy's name? John Dudek. He passed away yeah, a couple John years D ago. Yeah. You're kidding me. Yeah. Yeah. He used to sell all our stuff. He was, cool. yeah, he sold. So he would write. So, you know, I had said before, this was pre-internet. That was our internet. You'd read these descriptions and that's how you like decided what you wanted to buy and uniform choice staring at the sun. It was like, this sounds like poison or something like that. And I was like, no way. And when I finally got it, I was like, that doesn't really sound like poison, but it's way, it's a huge departure. And yeah. I always wondered what, like, you know, cause it, I think it still ties into break down the walls with the wishing well thing. Like, what was that like for you guys? Like you love the uniform choice youth of today starts as a reaction to all these bands going metal. And then here's uniform choice, this band you like, and then they try to sound like the cult. Uh, you know, when Breakdown the Walls came out, you know, they were, they were kind of like dressing a little weird, but they played, a, they played a bunch of shows around then and they were still good. Like they were still really good and they would play Fenders and, and they were mm. awesome. When we did that Breakdown the Walls tour, I think they had kind of like gone into, in like a little, you know, sort of like that culty kind of direction. And um, kids, you know, of course, you know, they're playing a hardcore show with you today and kids just more so into it but you know what whatever that was the kind of music they were into you know you got to kind of follow your inspiration i didn't re i didn't really know mm -hmm. dubar all that well like it was mostly pat longer that i dealt with 
and he was super cool. I gotta, I, I gotta say that Pat Longry was always kind of like a, a cool stand-up guy, and um, you know, they put out the record and. You did know, you ever? Cool. Did you ever consider taking Youth of Today in that direction as well? Never. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Like that, that just, was that was like that was like our mission statement. Yeah. Bring back hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, but I see. I see why. Like like you said. Like I see why Uniform Choice did that, especially then. Like we've all played in bands. Everyone here and. Sometimes maybe, you know, I wonder if they started to see all these different bands popping up that were kind of doing the same thing. And they're like, well, we're, we're over it, man. Like we're, we're listening to the cult. Cause I'm thinking about that at that time, like the cult electric was like a big album, like a, yeah. it's a great record, but yeah, you know, so they probably were just like, Hey, let's try to incorporate some of this in and, and Dubar can actually sing. Yeah. He can sing. Good singer. Yeah. It's a great record, but like, they should have left it as the cult and maybe changed their name and not been uniform choice. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. It's like maybe. such a weird, like a weird thing. I like. The I love Blood Days. Days too. That record is fucking great. I love. <laughs> hey, for me, it goes Unity Seven Inch, Blood Days, and then Screaming for Change. You're crazy. Oh, you, I, I dude, am you're crazy. High. You, you're high. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should hear some of his. That's not even the worst take he's had so far on this podcast. <laughs> I get text messages every time after a podcast goes up. Dude, what was Javier talking about? <laughs> it, it must be this kombucha. I don't know. Let's talk about writing this record. How did you write this record? Was it literally just you and a guitar coming up with all these riffs? Because the rhythm section was kind of in flux at this moment. So did you literally just say, hey, I got this record. I wrote this whole record and this is gonna be Break Down the Walls. This is gonna be our, the next thing. Well, we, ha we wrote Can't Close My Eyes super fast. Like we started the band I had some songs from my old band that we kind of retooled and they became like expectations and, and stabbed in the back. <clears throat> so we wrote literally can't close my eyes. We wrote all those songs in probably six weeks or something like that. I mean, we practiced like every day. Um, so we wrote that really fast. And so, you know, we wrote that, you know, can't close my eyes was written in the summer of 85. And so, we wrote those songs and break down the walls. Like it took us a, it took us a good year of writing to write those songs. So we, we worked a long time on it and yeah, the, the lineup was super in flux. And um, so it was mostly me and Capo that were just like getting together and just kind of like banging out the songs. Did you have any songs that didn't make the album? You know, there's always yeah. like B-sides yeah. and weird stuff. Is there anything that maybe you wish would have made the album? No, we had a song called Polluted Minds that never made it, which I'm kind of glad because it was kind of like, I don't know. Did you play it live? Is there like a live version out there somewhere? Probably. Yeah, we played it live I think I saw on a zine Ray shared the lyrics once or something. Nice. For it. Archaeologists. So, so you recorded the song Youth of Today at this session but then it wasn't on the wishing well lp right yeah yeah that's right yeah we recorded it and it didn't come out on uh it didn't originally come out on the wishing well do you know why i can't remember why mm. i don't know why it's weird 
Interesting. Because it was originally um, like Connecticut Fun, right? Was that what it was originally? Yeah, we wrote a bunch of songs on Connecticut Fun. We actually recorded before we recorded um, Can't Close My Eyes. That was the first thing we recorded. So those were all like the early song kind of like we were literally a band for maybe three weeks when we recorded on that thing. Wow. But um, break, but break down the walls, you know, break down the walls was a, it was a long time in the making, a lot of thought, a lot of effort, a lot of practicing went into that record. Um, even with Drew, you know, we did a lot of practicing with Drew. I remember we, uh, I don't know why. Oh, I was in college. I was in college in, in Oswego. And uh, I went to college for one year from 85 to 86. I, I, we did that seven seconds tour on my college break. And so I used to, we, me and Drew would meet up in Albany of all places. Like he would take the train up for Albany, there'd be a show. <clears throat> and I would come down from Oswego and me and Drew would sit in, you know, Dave Stein's basement and we would practice for hours and hours and hours. So we were like well rehearsed, well ready for those, you know, uh, for that record and we came in and we just like kind of busted it out and the cool thing about that record is like that record was Ray Capo in his like most youthful energy that like you can't even believe like he was like whatever 19 years old couldn't sit still you know ADHD to the max <laughs> <laughs> jumping around the studio. I, I wish you guys could have seen him in the studio because it was so freaking awesome. He didn't just sit there and sing the songs. He would run around the studio. He would punch the wall. He'd mosh in the mosh parts. He passed out at least three times recording that record. Like he would just scream so hard. I, I'd, be, I'd be in like the control room and he'd be like, my gotcha, thud. You just hear a thud. And Ray Cap was just like passed out cold on the floor from just singing too hard. I was like, going to mention was, uh, that was that was the level of him singing on that record. I mean, it was nuts. He really like he gave a damn good performance on that record. Yeah, he sounds yeah. super strong. His voice sounds awesome on yeah. it. Yeah, um, yeah, and it sounds like his most angry. Yeah. Oh, you know, that was him and his most youthful, you know, youth, angst, you know, everything. You put it together in like a 19-year-old, like, who's got more energy than a 19-year-old kid? Nobody. You know what I mean? So so that yeah. record kind of like just captured, you know, him at his like just height of, of youth and whatever. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was cool. So I was going to say, I saw an interview with, uh, that we talked about before we recorded uh, with the engineer, John Moorhead. And he mentioned um, that Ray would like sing so hard. And he would, he said something about he would do his vocals in the dark. Yeah. And then he would, he said one, at one point he was like, I guess doing the call back. Like, okay, do you want to do another take? And he goes in and finds him passed out on the, on the ground. He, he passed out at least three times at least three times, just singing so hard that he lost consciousness. <laughs> wow. But we had a lot of fun. Everything went smoothly for the record. You know, it's funny too, because that studio is terrible. Electric Reel Studio, I mean, mm. that's, Bold Speak Out was recorded there. 
like will go down in history as one of the worst recorded records, which is such a shame because it's the songs are really good. Yeah, we've talked about if what if Speak Out was recorded at the same studio where they recorded the other songs, like for the comp and stuff, because they just sound yeah. like raw and and a little bit more aggressive. And mm-hmm. that is a lot of people's criticism about Speak Out is the the recording. If Speak Out was recorded at Don Fury's, it would have been a monster record. Mm-hmm. I yeah. agree. Monster. I think yeah. people would be talking about it in the same way they talk about a lot of the other stuff from that time. And the mm-hmm. other record that the other record that was recorded at Electric Reels, the Underdog LP. Mm. I mean, that's got one of the worst guitar sounds I ever heard. <laughs> mm. Another 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 great record terrible recording so i feel like really lucky that somehow break down the walls came out freaking awesome yeah like i, I love the guitar sound love the drum sound ray sang fantastic on it um all the backups you know but by, by the time that uh by the time that we finished mixing that record we actually had mike judge in the band mm-hmm. so drew played drums on the record and then i think like about a month later mike judge tried out and um and he was in the band so all the backup vocals on that record are just me and Mike Judge. Wow. Wow. Oh, wow. Yes. It's just two people singing all those. One, two. Yeah. It's just me and Mike Judge. Oh, wow. Just basically one take, me and him just screaming. So did you cool. have a lot of those backups? Because that, that actually leads into a question I had. So there's a lot of different mixes of this album. There's yeah. the, wish, the Wishing Well one. Oh, you know what? Actually... That's right. When when Revelation put it out, that's when me and Mike Judge went back and we uh, we re we remixed and we put those backing vocals in. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes that so, makes sense then. Yeah, that's right. Because Mike wasn't in the band yet when we uh, so we recorded "Break Down the Walls." It was like the it was like the winter, and then um, we had the lineup with with Richie and I'm trying to think of Mike Judge. I think I think Drew came to California with us on that tour where we played the shows with Instead. I think Drew was playing drums, and Craig was in the band. And I had I had become really good friends with um, Ryan from Chain of Strength. He was in Justice League at the time, and so all those guys went all those guys went back. But we had um, we were still kind of like going back and forth with wishing well getting the record together so i said hey guys i'm going to stay out here i'm going to live at ryan justice league's house and i'll take care of all the break down the walls stuff and i was out there for so long i was out there probably i think i lived at ryan's house for like three months it was unbelievable i just became part of his family like literally i would like sit down for dinner with his family oh purcell how was your day what did you like i was just part of the family for like three months and um, we mastered the record. We mastered it at, at Capitol Records in LA. That was really cool. Um, and I was out there even till the record came out. That's how long I was out there. The record came out like two months later. It was the spring of uh, spring of '86, and it was so cool because I went to a show at Fender's. It was Red Hot Chili Peppers and um, uh. Brian Baker had a band with the Doggy Style guys. Was that yes. This was like the weird. No, it was just it was, called. It was, I think it, was, it was called Doggy Rock. Yeah. It was. Ba- <laughs> it was basically. It was basically Doggy Style with Brian Baker playing guitar, 
and they were like a funk rock band, like Red Hot Chili Peppers. And they had a whole weird like stage show. You know how Red Hot Chili Peppers had the time? They had like the, the light socks. bulbs on their head. Yeah. yeah, and they had like a whole weird kind of like goofy stage show. Yeah. It was them doing the whole goofy stage show thing, trying to be Red Hot Chili Peppers. It was super bad. But anyway, I went to their show. They opened up for Red Hot Chili Peppers. And um, it was the day that Breakdown the Walls came out. It, it was even it was it was the day that Longry went to the pressing plant and he first got the record back. It hadn't been distributed yet or anything. So I'm at this show and I'm talking to Brian Baker. And Pat Longry comes up to me and he just puts a box at my feet. And I was just like, what the and then he walks away. And so Brian Baker's there, he puts a box at my feet. I open it up, and there is breakdown the walls. Oh my God, wow. it looked so cool. Like I hadn't seen, like I opened it up and I was like, wow. And I pulled one out and I was like, Brian, check this out. My band's LP came out. And he looks at it and he goes, that's the coolest fucking record cover I've ever seen in my life. Wow. <laughs> that's awesome. I was like, I was like, yes, this is the coolest record cover ever. We're onto something. <laughs> And so, yeah, it was the first moment seeing that. And Brian Baker said it was the coolest record cover he's ever seen. So Did you give him one? It was, uh, it was an auspicious cool. star. Yeah, I gave him one. Yeah, that's it was sick. Cool. I, he was probably the first person that ever got one. Wow. So I, so I was wishing well. <laughs> that's Great. awesome. Yeah, so that was cool. And then we went back and um, that's, when, uh, that's when we got... I think we actually still played some shows with Drew with Richie and Drew. And then we got Mike for the Breakdown the Walls tour, which was that summer. Um, who did the layout for the Wishing Well version? Cause it's, I, I haven't seen it. I, it's not on the Rev version who did the layout for that, but who, who did all the artwork? I'm pretty sure it was Pat Longry. It was a really good layout. Mm, yeah, it is. It's, nice. it's really good colors, mm -hmm. you know, the, um, the fonts, everything. It's just, it looks very clean and uh like distinguishable you're like yes this is a fucking hardcore record mm -hmm. yeah it looked very youth crew mm -hmm. you know what i mean before youth crew was a was a thing it's very clean yeah very so clean you cut. like set a, a bar all of this we've talked about with other bands up to this point in the podcast it's like you are creating the blueprint you're creating the roadmap all of these the fucking nikes the big nikes the haircuts the gibson like everything it's influencing people to come right yeah uh you know that was like you know when that record came out you know we were you know we just had kind of like a different style Mm -hmm. you know it, you know at the time when we moved to new york city i mean things were still crazy punk rock i mean you go to cbgb's yeah. everybody had a leather jacket on or you know big boots they looked like fucked up clothes you know what i mean crazy haircuts everybody in the new york hardcore scene looked like that you know mm -hmm. so in roles like me and kappa with like our varsity football jackets on and you know big you know like high top sneakers and people are like, who the hell are these freaking guys? <laughs> like literally people just, people were pissed off. People yeah. were pissed off at the way we mm -hmm. looked. Yeah. To this day, to this day, I'm telling you, the only reason why me and Capo didn't get our asses kicked back when we first moved to New York was because Roger and Vinny really 
endorsed us. Like we were friends with them in Violent Children. We had played a bunch of shows with them. Mm-hmm. And when we, we moved to New York, like Roger and Vinny were like, these guys are cool. Youth of Today is cool. They're our friends. They introduced us to everybody. Everybody kind of like, we met everybody through Roger and Vinny. And through their stamp of approval, even though a bunch of freaking dusted out, meth, methed out punk rockers probably wanted to kill us because we looked all like normal, like we were straight out of the wrestling team. Yeah, they didn't mm-hmm. do it, but I just had a freaking respect for Roger and Vinny. So, awesome. uh, you know, I we owe a lot to those guys for just kind of like really making sure that, you know, we were, you know, they accepted us and like everybody else had to accept us basically because they, mm-hmm. they were the kings back then. One of the things, who designed the uh, fist, the Youth of Today fist? Because I first saw that around the time, I guess, of Break Down the Walls. Like I think Ray's wearing the shirt on that Donahue appearance. Yeah, like before, yeah. Before Break Down that the was, Walls maybe. Yeah, that was the start of the fist when he, when he wore that shirt. Uh, the fist we got from, there was this guy from uh, the Connecticut Hardcore. He was actually from upstate New York. His name was Herbie Straight Edge. We almost got him in the band. Um, he was a straight edge kid. He had a jacket on, he, he had a jacket that he wrote on the, he drew on the back. And it's, I don't think he drew it. I think his girlfriend drew it or something. But it said mm. straight edge, it said straight edge and it had that fist. And man, it was such a cool jacket. We're like, dude, that is the coolest fist ever. We almost got him in the band, but um, almost overnight, he became a skinhead and started doing like tons of drugs. Mm. Like he went from being straight edge and like the next week he was a skinhead and he was literally like sniffing glue and you know, doing crazy shit. Um, so we asked him, we were like, hey, you're not straight edge anymore. Can we use that straight edge fist <laughs> from the back of your jacket? <laughs> and he said, sure. And so somehow or other, I don't know, we tr- I think we literally just got a big piece of paper and traced it from the back of his jacket. And then a week later, we had that kind of tracing and we gave it to Capo's little brother who uh, he was in school and, and for his art project, they were doing silk screening in school. And literally for his high school art project, he cranked out those first t-shirts where wow. Ray was wearing them on the Donahue show. That's awesome. awesome. And so we kind of just gave out those t-shirts. Like we gave one to Ray B's and we gave one to Todd Youth. And so you see all those early pictures of, you know, some key players in the scene. We just had like a dozen of them. Like I had one, Al Brown had one, like Walter had one, Ray B's had one. Um, But, you know, they're in like a ton of pictures, but there was actually only like 12 shirts, maybe 15 shirts or something. Wow. But it was a cool fist. Really yeah, cool. I mean it's it's, Still it's is. one of those yeah it's one of those iconic like images where I mean Youth of Today merch still has that fist you know it's yeah. there's all kinds of stuff it's yeah. like you see that fist you know you know I mean you guys have a, a what a hat that just has the fist and people know it's Youth of Today got those enamel enamel pins yeah. of just the fist pretty cool. Yeah, and, well on that on that subject and I'm sure you've talked about this before maybe but there was you know there's been like that image is so powerful that it seems like there's some street streetwear brands that will like reach out and take that. Like mainly the one I'm talking about is how Supreme yeah. took it. And then they just made items that said you yeah. crew. 
but not necessarily euthanasia. Yeah, they took but, the um, fuck. They took. They, I don't know. Just they your thoughts on that. They took the fucking axe off. They took the fucking axe off. Yeah, like yes. I was so yes. pissed. I was so pissed. I was so pissed. I walked yeah. into I walked into Supreme, and I was like, "Where's the fucking owner? I'm in euthanasia today. You guys fuck. You guys stole our logo, and you fucking took the X off. I'm fucking so pissed. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Get the owner down here right now." Get them down here right now. And the people that worked at the Supreme Store were like these kind of like sketchy sort of like homeboy dudes. And they were like going to step to me. And it was like a whole weird thing where it was like almost a fight. And then um, the owner wouldn't come. The owner was in New York at the warehouse at the time where I walked in the store. And um, the owner said, the owner sent the message and they just said, give him every single piece of merch in the store. <laughs> so luckily luckily i had a car so i like i went in and they literally gave me boxes of like you know and that's that stuff is expensive yeah, it, is. it is like i had a oh, box yeah. of yeah, probably very. i don't even know how many sweat they made sweatshirts and they made shirts and like long sleeve shirts barely the but the boxes mm-hmm. barely even fit in my car and i remember i was driving i was driving yeah. around uh New York, like the second after it happened, and I saw Toby, and I was like, "Hey, Toby, you want like ten of these youth crew sweatshirts?" And like, I just gave him like a whole like, yeah, and you know, he's stoked because he's like a streetwear guy, and like, he just walked away like mm-hmm. his arms were just filled with shirts and sweatshirts and stuff. I was just gonna say you made his day, I'm sure. But yeah, I, I was yeah. pissed. I was pissed because they basically stole it. They didn't contact us. You know, whatever. Like, I would have been cool about it. Yeah, I mean, you were cool with the Noah stuff because they, yeah. it was done right. But, yeah, yeah give done, us some done right. Contact License. us, ask us, don't mess with the logo. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. We would have been, you know, we would have been yeah. whatever. And we would have been, uh, we would have worked with Supreme. They were huge, yeah. you know? They're still huge. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was just kind of pissed. It was just disrespectful that they didn't even contact us. I mean, we were living yeah. in New York. We were in shelter. We were in New York at the time. They could mm-hmm. have easily tracked us down. Mm-hmm. So, so then, yeah. Um, let's talk about break down the walls on Revelation. You know, we've talked about the the wishing well and the writing and everything. So it's only out for a year or so, and then you decide to put it out on Revelation. What's why did you go? Was it out uh, we, of press? We, what happened? We, we, we kind of had a falling out with, with Wishing Well. Because you wouldn't grow your hair out or what? <laughs> no, you know, Wishing Well, when we first said to him, we were like, well, what's the pay structure with this? And Wishing Well said, we didn't do a contract. And we're, and we're like, there's no con, like, they're like, we don't do contracts, we do handshakes. Now I kind of figure out why. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, they said, "Look, we just want to we just want to make our money back for what we for what what we put into it, and then we're going to give you all the money." And then I, I was even like, "You're going to give us like all the money? You're basically like just doing it for free?" And they were like, "Yeah." I was like, "I was like, dude, you know, whatever. You're going to be promoting the record. You're going to be advertising. Like, you know, your time is worth a little money. Let's figure out something where you guys get paid fairly and we get paid a royalty." And they're like, "No." We want the label to be like a nonprofit label. We're not doing this for profit. Um, we're gonna basically just make back all our money. We're gonna give you guys all the money. What a joke! We didn't get paid a dime from that freaking record, you know. And they saw. I mean, they pressed it like 
you know, they did the initial pressing, which was, I think, I don't know if it was, it was at least 3,000, maybe it was 5,000 or something. Then they did that black one. The you black know, and yellow, yeah. The black and yellow cover. Um, then they did that colored vinyl one, you know, where, you know, they were, you know, that record became, you know, they, it was only 150 of each color. Yeah, the blue and the red, red and blue. So instantly, instantly yeah. that record was selling for like a lot of money. Yeah. And we, we never got paid. Mm -hmm. We never got paid any money. We never got paid any money for the shirts. I mean, those guys like Wishing Well at the time, they were like the biggest sellers of merch like ever. I mean, those Uniform Choice shirts put them on the map, you know? I remember mm -hmm. going to Fenders and, you know, uh, those guys would set up, sh would set up um, merch booths, even not at Uniform Choice shows. They would just go there. They'd, they'd have like a Wishing Well booth at any hardcore show and they would have you today shirts and sweatshirts and stuff and you know they'd sell stacks and we never got paid man wow that's so crazy it's, I remember. It, it, it's, it, it's super disappointing because i had a lot of faith in those guys and i was friends with Longree. and i remember when things went south um and we said hey man we're gonna do this record on revelation and they were like a little bit pissed off and it was a little bit kind of like bad blood. But I said to him, I said, hey, do you guys have any, you guys have any merch left? And Pat Longry said, we don't have any merch left. We're completely sold out. I was like, okay, we don't want you guys selling any more merch. And he said, okay, we're, we're not going to sell any more merch. And then um, I was supposed to go back to New York, but I wanted to hang out with the sloth crew. And so one of the sloth crew guys, um, Greg Brown, his father was a doctor. So I got him. Crook, what's up, brother? Hey. What's up, Crook? What's going on? How's it going? Hey, Drew. All right. Hold on. Hold on one second. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna make one last point, and then we're gonna. And then we're gonna get you on. Oh, sorry. So, so they thought I went back to New York, but actually I stayed. I stayed hanging out with the sloth crew for like another month. And I got, I got this one guy's father to write me a note to send to the airlines that I was, I don't know, I broke my arm or something. I couldn't fly or whatever. And um, so I got my ticket pushed back. And so I went to a show and sure enough, the Wishing Well booth was set up and they were selling Youth of the Day merch. That's so crazy. Was it the white Shady. sweatsuit? I remember reading. Yeah, it was, the white, it was the white shirts and the, and, the, and the white sweatshirts and everything. And I just don't have to tell him. I'm just like, Longry, what the fuck, dude? Like you totally lied to me, wow. uh, and I tell you, you know, whatever. I don't really, I don't hold grudges and stuff like that. It was just like a really weird thing. Um, I've seen, I, I've talked to Longry since then, and you know, things are really cool and whatever. Because yeah, didn't Longry then end up finding some extra pictures, right, and sent them to you? I remember him. Like, and he sent, he, he sent me that really nice package. I have, I have no bad blood with those guys. I think they're cool. Scream for Change is one of the greatest records freaking ever written. And what, whatever. We all do dumb shit when we're kids. <laughs> so we got a surprise guest here. We actually just had Drew yeah. sign on. What's up, man? Hey guys, how are you? Ah, we're doing freaking great. Freaking Drew, what's up, brother? <laughs> <Yes. laughs> no, Drew, we were talking. How old were you when you recorded Break Down the Walls? 14. 14 freaking years old. 13. Okay, you want was crippled youth 14 was was youth of today break down the walls yeah it was so how long have you been playing drums at that point like it's like two i don't know a couple of years two three years two three years i mean i started when i was in uh like uh 
sixth grade, seventh grade. So it would have been like two and a half, three years. Yeah. I mean, Unreal. I mean, not not only that, dude. Yeah. You crushed. You crushed it on that record. That yeah. record was a blast. Yeah. We had such a good time. I mean, it was it was an interesting like um, lead up to that record because I mean it wasn't in like this forefront of my mind that that record would ever happen with me playing or what would ever manifest with it. It was. Do you remember like you guys needed a drummer? And uh, it, like you had gone to like uh, Oswego, Ray was yeah. in school or something, and then uh, you needed someone to play. And I remember doing the shows with you in Albany. You're like, let's get, yeah, help us out. Can you help us out? And I, so you, I remember you and me were rehearsing for like the Albany shows, and that was probably my first show up at the BFW Hall up there. Yeah, and we practiced in Dave Stein's basement. Exactly, and I'll, yeah, I remember that even back then on that trip that we were staying over there. I remember Ray in like one of the bedrooms, like working on the riff for one family and you got in with him and you were playing guitar. And he That's right. Family. That was the first song I remember that would have been on that record that was being written at that time. So that was yeah. the first song I played. And I remember you with him in the, in the bedroom at Dave Stein's working on one family. Yeah. Yeah, so it kind of was like piecemeal over that time. Like, you know, just doing shows and, and uh, I think CB's with AF was like, right on the heels of that show like that's you know, right you played that show that was my you also show. you also played in in philly with us right yeah like everything probably from uh let's see so that would have been what so if i was in ninth grade, probably uh the the, uh, the spring of 86 is it so 86 right like the the fall of 86 right fall of 86 so i played with you all the way through break down the walls and then i did like one or two shows you after and that was it well you did that whole seven seconds tour remember we right, went right, to right. Canada? yeah yeah that was the new wind uh tour where i almost didn't get into canada because yeah it's like they're like, where is this kid's parents? Like, who is this kid? <laughs> I knew it. Exactly. Like, uh, you guys had to call my parents and be like, yeah. look, you talk to border security because I think like we're gonna we're kidnapping your child. Remember the guy said, Okay, we'll let you into Canada, but we can't guarantee that you'll get back into the United States. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, okay, we'll do it. Because we spent, like, okay. spent like 12 hours at the border getting in, but that tour was amazing. Uh, it was incredible. It was, yeah, it was so good, man. It was, uh, working on the record was kind of really awesome because we got to do, test run all those songs, not just the seven inch songs, but like as we, you guys were working on them and writing them, we'd be in a process of kind of playing them. I remember opening with like yeah. Make a Change. Yeah. So that was the one we opened with, I think, um, for a lot of those. We, all, we also had, um, we had Take a Stand was an old song, but then we wrote the intro to That's it right. and we were yeah. playing that too. Yeah. I remember doing the Break Down the Walls, the song, I think on that tour as well. I th um, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty yeah. sure we did every song except for some of the later ones, which right. were, we, we played all those songs live except Free At Last we wrote literally Free at last like- later. Yeah. Free, Free At Last we wrote like three days before we recorded. We were like, exactly. we need one more song. I was just talking oh, wow. about, her about that. Yeah, because I think Richie worked on that too. Right. Um, that was the only song, that was the only song that Richie actually right. worked on with us because exactly. he was in the, he joined the band like a week before we recorded. Well, that's what I thought, yeah, because uh, I remember, again, like recently, like uh, reminiscing with Walter about some of this stuff, like he was asking about it and I, I don't, I think Richie came in to for like a later session for that because I feel like when we did 
that record, it was you and me and Ray and Craig. And Electric Reels was a smaller studio. Like we, when we went yeah. back to the Bold record, it was a totally different studio. They added like a room. I think yeah. that the reason that Speak Out sounds dramatically different than uh, Break Down the Walls is because it was a much different studio. The, co the, the console room was off on the side, it was smaller. And then the tracking room with the drums, we were all in it together. Yeah, like just like that one area that they eventually used later for the engineering. They made they made it worse. They made it worse. And it made it worse. I know. <laughs> yeah, because I listened to Break Down the Walls. I was like, "Fuck, this record sounds cool." Like it's way different than like, like audibly than what they did with it later on. Speak out, you know. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, and they they messed up the into an uh, the underdog record too. Doesn't sound. It good. was a different studio, man. But like, luckily, you know. Uh, Youth of Today got in under the wire with that. Otherwise, it could have been a much different record because they, yeah, right that record, they changed the studio around. That's and, right. They did yeah, change Tim it. Tim actually around. reminded me of that because I was like, why does this fucking uh, Speak Out record sound so different than uh, Break Down the Walls? And he's like, don't you remember they changed, they added this huge addition and they changed, it's a totally different recording setup. I was like, oh, that's why. Yeah. I forgot about that. And, and, and Drew, you also played Chicago with us too, didn't you? Metro, that was my first show at Metro. Yeah. First show, like, you know, in Detroit. We did that loop. Uh, it was like, we did some Northeast that, shows. That Metro show was great. That Metro show is insane. I'm so psyched that that club still exists or, you know, it's, well, it had, I don't know what's going on now, but um, that was one of my favorite shows on the tour for sure. That was it. It was a huge show. It was like, you know, yeah. those shows, those shows were literally putting Youth of Today on the map. Yeah. Because we were playing these huge shows with seven seconds. They were all, and yeah, we, they were all sold out. And, and we went over freaking great. Like, oh, I don't know. But I don't I know what it was. In the case, even like the first show uh, at CB's, because I think that was your first show at CB's. You had played with AF before, like Saudis. Um, and I don't know how many others, but as far as playing at CB's, that was the first one. And I mean, right now. That was a show that put Youth Today on the map in incredible. New York. Yeah. We played, it, it was right before, it was, it was right before Christmas. It was right. like a winter, it was really freezing cold day. And yeah. it was that flyer that had the skinhead chainsawing a guy's head yeah. off and holding yeah, yeah. the head. Yeah. And it said agnostic front Youth Today. Yeah. And we're like, oh shit, this is gonna be a good show. This from the flyer. That was my first show at CB's and it was just like, it, uh, just one of the best experiences you could have with a band man it was so good plus it was like playing with af was you know, it was so it was so it was so weird because you know new york city it was such a tough nut to crack yeah, i mean intimidating you know what i mean it was like filled with a bunch of sketchy dudes they didn't like outsiders yeah you know and for us to go in there we played that show and be so yeah. well received it was yeah. like okay we're like a New York Harker man. You Again, know I mean? it was like trying to get me into it was so difficult. Like I almost didn't get into that show because I was 14 when, again, that was the same year. And it was like, um, Karen just was like not having it, man. She wouldn't let me in. I think like, I think as usual, Hilly was really cool. And he was like, okay, okay. You know, like, and I just got in, but like, I couldn't go out because I couldn't, it was hard to go out and in because every time. Yeah, yeah. Let me see. I was, like, I was just in, but it was like, you're not coming back in. So I think I just stayed in and stayed in the back. I mean, how cool was it? It was like a bunch of freaking kids making music. Yeah. Yeah, we were all a bunch thing. of kids. I was only 18. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? 
But, you uh, want to know? You want to know something like you and Sammy, you guys, and you know the rest of the yeah. bowl guys. You, you guys yeah. get this kind of like thing where okay, they were really young and they were like really good. Right. You know who doesn't get enough credit for that? Craig. Right. Craig was only Craig was only fifteen when yeah. he played on Breakdown the Walls. He was a little kid too. Yeah, Craig's only a year older than me, and um, oh, wow. he was a tremendous bass player back then. I mean, I feel like Craig was a big part of why, like that at least the the rhythm tracks on that record sound is you know sound as good dope as they do he was great jordan craig, mentioned that yeah. when when we talked to jordan uh yeah. last week he was saying that craig like he, he he specifically brought up the song uh stabbed in the back right, he's right, like, right. how old yeah. was craig when he's playing that that bass run and yeah. talking yeah. about same thing you said drew he was basically yeah. saying or uh porcel he was saying he doesn't get enough credit yeah like he was killing it yeah. Craig was a monster bass player at age 15. Mm -hmm. I mean, he could play like Metallica song. You know, he was like a metalhead kid before yeah. he was into hardcore. That's true. He That's was, he was, yeah. he was like incredible. Mayhem. He was playing in Mayhem already, like, right? Like that. Uh, right. Was that was a shirt though? He was had like the Mayhem. Yeah. NYC Mayhem. Right. Yeah, like metal. Yeah, yeah. Remember that? Mm -hmm. That was pretty uh -huh. straight ahead. So, what was the what was the, the what was I coming in after? Was was it Tommy Carroll? Was it Tommy was playing? And yeah, then, Tommy. Tommy played after you. Oh, because I think I I started. Oh, it was after me. Okay, I'm trying to remember like the. So I came in just like right after the seven inch. Then after mm -hmm. Darren was playing. Yeah, was playing after the seven inch, and then it was that that year. And then leading up to Darren, Great Darren quits. Darren quits. So the first show you probably played with us was that CB show, right? No, it was again. It was. It was. I think it was an Albany show because you and me practiced. Yes. Seven, and then we met Capo right. up in Albany, and uh, I don't even remember if it was if if it might have been like who was playing bass at that show? Because probably, probably Craig. Oh no, maybe Graham. It was Graham. It was still Graham, right? The original yeah. bass player. Yeah, grand play. Westchester guys. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of bunch of Westchester kids. Hey, town mosh crew. <laughs> you want to know? You want to know what's so weird about youth today? It's just it's a really strange thing because you know me and Capo were in Violent Children, right. and we were kicking we were kicking it around for like you know a year and a half. We actually played really good shows. We played with AF. Yeah. Um, we we played CBGBs with the Crow Mags. I mean, we were we were on like incredible bills. Well, the reason why our the reason why Violent Children broke up is because Johnny Stiff called us up and he said, "Hey, do you guys want to play a Sunday matinee opening up for the for the Circle Jerks?" The Circle Jerks, who were like they were like the Rolling Stones of the yeah, hardcore scene at the time. Yeah. And the sing yeah. and the singers the singers like eh, I don't want to do it. We're like, are you are you wow. fucking are you high? What? Yeah, right. Are you, kidding are you as high as Javier? Not <laughs> we're like, you don't want you can't be bothered to drive 45 minutes to New York City to open up for the circle jerks at CBGB's. We're breaking wow. this band up. Yeah. You know, so right. like we you know, we were we tried our best to do this band and like nothing was happening, no traction whatsoever. Yeah, and then we started Youth of Today, and it was just one of those things where like, Capo moves from drums to vocals, and it there was like a shift in the universe, and right. like stars kind of lined up. And from the first show, every show was great. Like mm. I can't, I I don't even I don't remember a bad Youth of Today show. It was like from our first show, 
It really Kids was. going crazy, singing along. It was there nuts. Was bad shows like I remember some of also some really great shows just uh, at the early Anthrax. Uh, the one in Stanford where like I'd have to I was doing a couple of shows both with Crippled Youth and with Youth of Today. I would double up at a lot of shows doing uh, shows in the first show up at the Rat. I played it was uh, yeah. Crippled Youth, Youth of Today, and then Youth Brigade. And it was, was just a youth like, show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was amazing. But I, I just there was never a bad show. I mean, it was just like there was such an energy. Um, I think that was there from the beginning and just carried through that was like, it was effortless, you know? I, I, I don't know what it was. Like maybe it was just cause straight edge was so dead. And then here came a band that was like, so super straight edge that people were like, Oh, let me check this out. I don't know what it was, but I remember we played our second show at the anthrax. You may have even played that show. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Mike Gitter came down from Boston. You know, yeah. XXX fanzine, Triple X right. fanzine was like a big fanzine. Mm -hmm. And he and he came all the way down to Boston for our second show. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, yeah I want to interview you guys. Yeah. And we're like, we're that. like, how do you even know about it? He was like, Yeah, man, people have been talking about this straight edge, man. You today I had to drive all the way down and, and check you guys out. That was like our second show. It was weird. It was like a really special, there's just like a really special energy, I think that uh it's not just, it just was like a perfect combination of things. I think it was the right time for, you know, for kids to get into this band that was like just a special band that had like really like strong personalities, good players, and like was delivering something that was like, I want to be part of that. I want to be, you know, I like these songs. I like the way they're delivered. And I think it's just like a cool band to get into. And I mean, I had a lot, like it was, great for me i every show i played i was just like this is effortless and you know as somebody who's you know played a, a t so many shows since then it's like you know i could think of how many times like you've had bad shows as opposed to good ones so it's so rare to have a band where you're just playing and it's just you're just coasting the whole time we're really lucky it was a lucky yeah. experience you it's know? interesting yeah. that um so many people were threatened by the look and the sound of youth of today when everything that you just said drew sounds positive and you yeah. hear you're this kid your parents love porcel and capo yeah but in the especially the punk scene you're right. so fucking hated like almost immediately and that right. is so wild to think yeah but i think that's that's normal i think if you if you're you know um onto something and it's good naturally the status quo is threatened by you Mm. It doesn't matter what type of music it is. I think that's always been the case, um, you know, in popular culture. It's like you're trying to push away the status quo and bring about your own, you know, your own new thing, your own, you know, this is like, I'm the next, I'm, I'm the new guard. We're coming up in this. It doesn't matter if you, you're taking from something. It's like how you repackage it and redeliver it. And as soon as like people start seeing like, wow, there's a lot of people into this, the things mm -hmm. are shifting a lot of people, their reaction to it is like, well, we're just going to hate this because we're, you know, we're not, we don't want there to be a change in this. We're happy where we are. And I think that's kind of what happened with uh, today until it got to the point where you couldn't deny it. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Because like, you know, when we talked to Capo last week, he was talking about how, you know, break, his with Break Down the Walls, the, the song even in general was just about right. him being like, you know, look, we're all freaks, whether you're punk, skin, straight edge, not straight edge, didn't matter. Like it was more like, a, you know, he didn't necessarily, and you guys didn't necessarily want to just have 
straight edge kids only listen. I mean, look at the thanks list on right. on the record. You thank you know Chromags and Crumb Suckers and right. you know all these different bands that are so yeah. different from youth of today. Time, but sure. but the thing is, is that the kids and even me who got into it after the fact right. latched onto that the image part. But I think that that's also why the band like that's why we're still talking about youth of today sure. in 2020, yeah. because it was the whole package, the image, yeah, exactly. the, the sound, yeah. the right. live sets. I mean, you go yeah. on YouTube, you live sets. Yeah. Every besides, besides no, dis, no disrespect to Graham and, and Pesh, right. but besides those two guys, everybody that's been in youth of today is right. like their own character. Like everybody knows, like, like we can just say drew and people know we're talking about, <laughs> you can say, you know, wonder what Richie. comes to mind with that. Yeah, yeah exactly. you can say Richie, and you know, and you don't have to say, "Oh, Richie Birkin." Like people just know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were all we were all a bunch of freaking characters too, man. Jeez, you get us still all are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're all here. We're all yeah. characters. Let me tell you, we had a lot of we had a lot of fun back then too. We really did, man. I was just trying to. I was thinking of like, just uh, well. You, you know, we're from the same area, Purcelli and me are like, you know, so we would, uh, we would hang out a lot too, even during that time. And we worked even on some of this break down the wall stuff at my house, my parents' house when I was yeah, I remember in high school. So, you know, he'd come around and like, we just go down to the basement, like in my place in Katona. And a lot of that record was just like worked on down there, you know? So it's like, just kind of like local, hanging out we were lucky to have that that time like i think probably their giant studios i remember doing some stuff at giant studios on 14th street yeah right yeah crappiest crappiest practice place ever but oh my god a lot of great a lot of great records got practiced yeah right (laughs) and songs that's all that matters then really so i actually had a question about um the song free at last the lyrics because you know, I think a lot of people always point to like No More as being the first song with the vegetarianism and everything, but Free at Last has that line from the animals in the slaughterhouse to the drugs on the streets, but then Wishing Well omitted that from the lyric sheet, right? Yeah, they, it, that, that was conspicuous by its absence. They said that they just forgot it. I'm a little bit, you know, maybe it was censored, who knows? <laughs> So yeah, you vegetarianism guys... was such a weird thing. I think Dubar's father owned like a owned uh, a chicken, El Pollo Loco or something. <laughs> Dubar's father. <laughs> From Breaking. I've Day. never heard that. I've never heard that's of great. Dubar's owning that. So, were you, you guys were vegetarian then by the time of of even Break Down the Walls? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We would uh, try trying to search for. Uh, at that point in time, I remember being on tour and trying to search for stuff that you could eat. It was just like, what a different experience. Yeah, like that's yeah, what I was going to say. Like, Korean vegetarian man. back then. Oh my I goodness. I mean, even in New York City, there was only, there was like, in all of downtown, Right. there was only two health food stores. There was three health food stores. What was that? Right, like in New York. And there, like was down to, there was down. Um, there was integral yoga. Right. It was down down to earth. And prana. And prana. And prana. That's it. Yeah. Those are the only three health food stores. You couldn't really like. It was really hard. It was really hard to find tofu. Like, try to be a vegetarian back then. Like, yeah. we ate a Peanut lot of butter and jelly, man. It's like, oh, yeah, that was it. 
And then like Drew, you're 14. Like what did your parents think when you're like, I'm not eating meat anymore? Well, I mean, it's, it was kind of like, uh, I don't think that they were so concerned about stuff. I had a pretty easy, just like do for myself childhood with like a lot by that time. Like, um, I don't really think it was like, had a lot of like normal situations of like, uh, sit down type of stuff. So whatever was around, I could just get away with or do, you know, and I don't think it was, mm-hmm. and then I, I mean, I was out on my own pretty, pretty quickly after that, by the time it was only there a couple of years. Drew was the type of kid like, Hey, we're taking your son to Chicago and we're yeah. going to go halfway across the country. And they're like, that's cool. Take him." <laughs> it was pretty rad. I was, I was pretty lucky that way. Like the first show, I think that, uh, where I met you and Ray and Richie, everyone was like, I was 13. It was, we, uh, crippled youth open for the descendants. And it was the very first. Yeah. Wow. Richie, that was the Richie first was show. at that show. Richie, Richie was, was there with Brad. Richie was there with Brad. We was, they were skating. So, and everyone was at the descendants. We were just, again, it was like that perfect timing. You know, it's like, where that's our very first show is crippled youth. It's like you were saying about the circle jerks, like, you know, the descendants are just rock stars. They they didn't play no one. They they were away because Milo was at college. So this was the record that uh, they came back and did. Um, and we just got on that, that show and everybody was there. So I met yeah. all the Youth of Today guys at that show, Richie. That was just like set the trend of my life for the next like, you know, more than 15 years probably and even till today. You know, truth be told too, you guys were freaking good. <laughs> like it was sort of a novelty. It was sort of a novelty like, oh, let's show right. this band of like 13 year old kids. Yeah. This is going to be interesting. Yeah. And you guys were good. Yeah, thanks. You guys were and just good. kept getting we we talked about on previous episodes, just kept getting better. Like you hear those the together comp and the 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 way it is. And you know, right. we talked about how those bold songs, it didn't matter that you guys were it you held up just as well as the guys right. that were 17, 18, you know. That's very cool to hear. 20 or whatever, you know what I mean? And That's like cool. We're excited to talk about the Crippled Youth 7-inch in like four years or whenever we get to the reissue. <laughs> whenever we get to the reissue, it's like right, right. It's number funny. 200 or something. Yeah, exactly. I, it's just interesting because I, I think that, you know, part of playing these shows, you were just in the moment and you were lucky to get some of these shows and you didn't realize, wow, like I'm meeting all these people that are going to have such an impact on my life. And then by proxy, everybody else that is going to be affected by this. It's a strange domino theory, but that was, I think what was so amazing about like the scene back then is that you're just hanging out with your friends, you're meeting people. It seems so organic and natural. And then you play music together. None of us going like, well, you know, in 35, 40 years, we're going to look at this. Like this is some sort of a classic thing. I I never thought that like people would fucking remember any of this shit, you know, but, just so great to like hang out with my friends and play music and travel travel around playing shows and i just think it was one of like the the most pure times you know that we had so that, that meant a lot to me you know? yeah and the fact that you, you know still play i mean not right now obviously we know but yeah. like like these bands from you know that really only existed in a small blip of time i mean yeah like really. you today was what 85 to 88 or 89 yeah, yeah. You know, bold same thing but you can still play in 2000, we'll say 2019. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. You still play. Yeah. And yeah. there's people that are, there's young kids there that are into it. 
There's yeah. people that you guys grew up with and your friends old. Then there's people from like the nineties era, like, you know, the three of us in here right. that like got into everything, you know, in the mid nineties when already, you know, when I bought breakdown the walls in 1995, and I said this before, like 1987 may as well have been another century to me, yeah. Yeah. It. No. but it's, it's still true. indoors. It's gotta be crazy to still like, like, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm going to play in the band with, you know, my friends yeah. from high school, but like, you know, right. and they're picturing it being like that Saturday night live <laughs> bit with Dave Grohl where they're playing it. But like, no, we're playing in front of like hundreds or thousands of kids. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, youth, youth of today literally played last year at that sound revolution festival. And it was like 4,000 people there. It was like the greatest show ever. <laughs> Amazing, right? Who would, so who cool. would think? Who would I was gonna think? say, who would have thought while you were yeah. you know, in the studio later. doing this that you know right? that's what's gonna so, happen? I have a, actually a question, Purcell. Like when we did the tracking for that record, it was like the three of you, me, and Craig. That was the that we're doing the basics for it, right? Yeah, that was me it. Craig, me, me, you, and Craig tracked that record together. Okay, that's like what that, I like that, that I didn't do, I didn't even do a scratch track. That track that we tracked is one of the tracks. Right. That's so right. me, you, and Craig play. Me, you, and Craig played together, and those, we, and it's not like we overdubbed it. We just kept right. all those tracks. That's what I, I, I overdubbed maybe like I think like two or three more guitar tracks. Yeah. And then Richie played a guitar track, but those three main tracks are, are, are actually on the record of us playing together. And we didn't do any like. I think that was before you like there was ed like we weren't doing editing or putting it. We were just doing full. That sounds good. That's a that's a take. Kind we of. kind of bla we kind of blasted through it. Yeah, I we remember. Did it fast. I think we did the pretty much. I think we did if not one night, we just did it in two nights. We pretty much did it like wouldn't be more than two nights. I remember though. I remember I got in a lot of trouble uh, one of the, the last sessions that we did because we went to like six o'clock in the morning because we were doing night sessions. And that my, my parents cared about because I was in, uh, you know, I just, I was in my sophomore year high school. I had just started it. And it's, you know, there's no cell phones, anything like that. And I just somehow omitted like yeah, ever bothering to call my parents and be like, oh, it's six in the morning. I'm still at the studio. Just so I just kind of like get back at like six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning, pull into the driveway. Oh my God, I was in so much trouble. And coming up- It was worth it, man. It, it was, was worth, worth it. it. But the best part is that like the next show was it was the last, the last show I did was in Philadelphia, which is Rich, which was Richie's first show. And my parents were like, you got to be back by this time because you're, because you guys were going to seven in the morning. You better be back. So we go play the show and it's just like the best show. Like we're on fire. Yeah, it was incredible. Fire at that point. They wouldn't let us get off stage. It was like three encores in and I'm behind, you know, my drum kits and mask because Ray's ripped my drum kit apart a million times. I'm trying to set it back up. They're like, more. And I'm like, Ray, I gotta go, man. I gotta get home. My parents are gonna freaking kill me. I'm 14. Capo <laughs> says on stage, he goes, all right, so we know you want more, but you know what? Drew's gonna go home because his parents want to get back home. And it just rinsed me in front of like the entire crowd. I was like, oh. Wow, he threw you under the bus. <laughs> totally Where in Philly was that? Do you remember? It was a weird club. Electric yeah, was, Banana or something? Like that. It was up, I thought like it was that. Like upstairs. Yeah, like, I, it had I'm that Philly, kind of like multicolored thing behind the stage. It was a great show though. And that was and all the, the mirrors. That show that I did. Uh, That's right. That was Rich. That was Richie's first show. Richie's first show and my last show. Yeah. 
It was yeah. fun. That was a trip, man. I was like, oh, how is Kaplan doing this to me right now? There's so many people. But hey, I was like, I was 15 at that point. So that's when I had turned 15. Unbelievable, man. Crazy, man. We were all just a bunch of kids. It's awesome, though. It, like I it's said, so it's, cool and, to, and, it's so cool. It's so cool to think that that whole scene was put together by a bunch of kids. It was like a bunch of kids playing shows for kids, set up by kids. Yeah. It's, just a, it's an amazing little subculture that happened. Yeah. No one was like over 20, barely. And think about people doing it without internet or cell phones. Yeah. yeah I talk about touring all the time with like maps like yeah. Thomas Brothers guides and pay phones and, and McNally man, that's yeah. that. You know, you have that and you go to the quarters for this for the pay phones. Yeah. And, uh, you know, gas stations, quarters and Rand McNally, man. It's crazy. Remember remember we used to have that thing that mimicked the sound of quarters going yeah, into dialer. a payphone? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Dialer. I've, I talked to Dwid about that last year, and Dwid says that Robbie Redcheeks was actually the first person to introduce dialers to the hardcore scene. And so Dwid says that Robbie Redcheeks basically changed the face of touring in the world. So bit of bow to Robbie Redcheeks. Even though Robbie Redcheeks well, told me he's not a podcast guy, but <laughs> Robbie. Well, you know, well, you know, Dave Stein was the was like one of the first hackers. Right. And Dave Stein used to hack into, um, he used to hack into like some kind of computer frames and get all these like credit card, phone card numbers. And he would print, cards. he would print out just sheets and sheets and sheets of just, of just corporations phone card numbers. We might have and to edit would, this out for, uh, unless the statute of limitations has passed. Yeah. <laughs> Incriminating. And he used to, he used to, he used to give those out to everybody. Let me tell you, dude. Yeah. So many huge tours got booked yeah. on those credit card numbers. Like, right? you think of the like, communication and records, man. The way yeah. you're talking about, you know, old, like even internet, like national calls from like the West Coast, the East Coast, talking about to you, you know, some of the indie label stuff were all done on those on the same thing. You know, it's like I think of like, you know, the calls to the West Coast about doing stuff, interviews with people, or for fanzines or like the indie records. It's like same thing. That's what it was run on. Yeah, and how much was done through the mail, like interviews through the mail, you see, you read it and it's like kind of boring because there's no follow-up questions, but right. it's like, yeah. that's what we had. <laughs> and you yeah. had to send away cash to get records and hope that it came, hope that your stuff every, from Rev every came time. a year later. Yeah, I remember well, very distribution that we talked, well, yeah. send your well-concealed cash. S-A-S-E. Tape, yeah. tape coins to the inside <laughs> of the <laughs> Hey, listen, so one of the things that we do on this podcast is we have hot tracks where we discuss your favorite song on the record. So I don't want to put you on, uh, on the spot too much. So we'll, we'll talk about our hot track first, and then we'll come to you. Greg, what's your hot track on Breakdown the Walls? Oh, I have to go. I usually never go first. I know. I'm making you go first. <laughs> Honestly, this is, this is tough. It's tough. It's a hard but, one. Um, I'm going to go with thinking straight just cause as you know, like I love a good straight edge song. And when I heard this record and I was 14 and I read those lyrics, it hit so hard, you know, just everything about it. And the end, you know, the end part has the slow, you know, like mosh part. Um, I just think it's such a good straight edge song that doesn't really get recognized. I feel like, is that a song? Do you guys play that a lot when you play? I feel, I'm trying to think. Uh, of, yeah, we, we we play it. I love I love that song. So that's gonna be my that's my hot track. Jason, what about you? 
Me, I'm going to have to go with Take a Stand. Just that intro is just fucking killer. And seeing that in a live setting, like, so I saw Better Than a Thousand cover Take a Stand. Me too. That was my first. And there's so many Youth of Today songs that I love. I was like, oh, man, I kind of wish they would have played a different song. But seeing Youth of Today play Take a Stand was, like, fucking awesome live. So that's my hot track. So Good choice. Porcel, what about you? What's your hot track? My hot track is Take a Stand, man. I love yeah. that. I, I love the song Take a Stand. You know, I wrote that without the intro and we used to play without the intro. And then I had, and then I came up, I was trying to work on a new song and I came up with that dan, 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 dan. Yes, yes, yes. And I was saying, and then I was thinking like, maybe we could do it as an intro and then we'll play Take a Stand first. And that will just be like an intro. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? We should just make this as a part of Take a Stand. Right. And so I told, I, I told Ray, I was like, man, we should just do this into Take a Stand. It's such a killer intro. And he was like, yeah, we should do it. I'll write lyrics for it. So and so I was with- on the walls, the intro, the whole thing is on Break Down the Walls. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. But the backups but, were done later, right? Because the original yeah, Wishing Well doesn't have later. those. So I was with um, Pete Kramiak from Verbal Assault. We were all kind of friends. We were hanging out. And then Ray came and he goes, man, I just wrote the most killer lyrics for that intro. It's going to be the best thing ever. And I was like, what? He's like, okay, picture this. And then he goes, I see you hide. Do you have pride? You know, he does the whole thing. And I was like, dude, that's the most incredible thing ever. And Pete Kramer was like, don't you think it's like a little over the top? Like, you know, what about us like shy people in the scene? Like, you can't really say that. You're going to offend a bunch of people. We're just looking at them. We're like, are you kidding me? Yeah, that's the point. I love it. Well, that's the difference between Island. Yeah. So what about you, Drew? What's your hot track? Uh, I would have to say the, the one that I always go to is probably Honesty. I think it, as a drummer and as like just from a performance thing, just going like bah, 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 that whole beginning and just a slow build up, it gets me so fucking psyched. And yeah. that was so much fun to play and record. And I just every time I think of it, I just want to drum it. It's just bump, 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 yeah. bump, bump, and then uh, Capo segue into that. It's so like bump, 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 bump. fucking great, man. Yeah. It's awesome yeah. that you have a connection to these songs as a player, but then also yeah. as a fan, because you didn't play the songs for that long. You know, yeah. the document of you playing them is here, but then you can all still appreciate them as just a hardcore kid as well. Absolutely. Yeah, Drew, Drew, I mean, was one of the big, Drew was one of the biggest moshers at the freaking shows. <laughs> yeah, that's true, man. <laughs> and also, like, uh, like, I just thought that as soon as we all started hanging out, like, I, I immediately saw like the talent uh with with these guys like from i was kind of blown away like i remember after we all realized we're we're like good friends like immediately like the the crippled youth guys and even today guys and me and matt going to uh hang out with with youth of today at the bass player uh graham graham's place and see them rehearse for the first time and it was just like what what the fuck man like these guys were so good, it was a little overwhelming. Like it, you know, watching them play for the first time, even in a little, a little room at somebody's house, it was. It like, was actually it was my house. Was you? Are you sure? I thought it was great. Okay, so it was your place, and I remember. Well, us I remember you guys coming over a few times when we practiced yeah, at my house. And it was just like 
I remember wow. you guys would, would these guys would mosh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> practices. Yeah, it was just amazing. Awesome. It was. Around. Yeah, so much fun, man. But yeah, it was, was like fun. you know, it's hard not to be a, a fan of like you know just on like a pure like what's great hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. You know, certainly, mm -hmm. like even you know with that the first seven inch and what what they were doing, it was like wow, this is you know an amazing hardcore band. And I love the first seven inch, yeah. but I feel like this album is such a step up just in every way like yeah, to me sure. like the lyrics are great like i was sitting i mean i know the, and the thing is i was thinking like new bands come out and i don't know their lyrics because you know we don't necessarily sit and pour over the the records like we used to but like this record i knew all the lyrics and i was sitting to prepare for the episode and i was listening to it yesterday at the lyrics and i was like these are awesome lyrics the music yeah. is great it has like the mosh parts the fast parts all the players are awesome ray's voice is like i mean the, the growls are just crazy you know ch making change mm -hmm. have like 17 syllables you know? <laughs> like it's yeah. it's nuts and yeah. you know what's cool about that record like as a musician you know every single record you record there's always like you listen to it afterwards, you're like, this could have been different and this could have been a little better and I wish I did this. And you know, you always like have that, like where you're never really satisfied with that record, with the records that you do. But Break Down the Walls, like we recorded that record. I remember just taking home the tape and just like listening to it and just being like, man, this is such a good record. Like I'm so happy with how this record came out. That's awesome. And it's, yeah. it's, it's a rare thing. Like it if is, right. it's a rare thing just to be yeah. like, wow, we did it. I wouldn't change a thing. I love it. Mm -hmm. Right. So, well, that leads to another question I do have. Um, and I know we have to get to your hot track, Javier. Hey, I'm, I'm sure it's away. But there's <laughs> like, we talked about there's several mixes of this album. Yeah. What do you think is the definitive mix? Like that someone should listen to? Do you have a preference? You know, because there's the Wishing Well, the Rev, you know, this one. Then there's the 97 ones, you know, when, when they did uh, Can't Close My Eyes and uh, We're Not In This Alone all together. Do you have you know, a quite, preference? Quite, quite honestly, I haven't listened to the Wishing Well pressing in like a long time. I would have to sit and like A-B them. I, yeah. I remember thinking that they sound pretty much not too crazy different, but maybe... I just haven't really compared them. I would say com what, compared what to the think? other ones, compared to the other ones, there's not too much of a difference. Like we're not on this alone. There's a big difference, I think, in the mixes. But yeah. uh, I, you know, the the Revelation '88 one was the one I was most familiar with. Mm -hmm. And then you know, I only I don't own a Wishing Well one. Um, I want to, but. Uh, but I have like a, you know, vinyl rip of it. And something about the Wishing Well one I just like the most because it's just so raw. But the Revelation one has the added backups and some of those added backups, I think, really add to the record too. Yeah. Like the, ones you, the ones you and Mike Judge did, which again, I didn't know that until I was today years old when I knew that was just two people. Like, <laughs> yeah. I think that's going to blow people's yeah. minds. Because like take it's a funny stand. Because go back and listen to them and you can hear that kind of like Mike Judge growl on them. Especially on the wad, chow. Because <laughs> like you take a stand, take a stand has the I see you hide, 
Hi. Hi. So I can't hear it without that, even though the wishing well one doesn't have that. But yeah, I mean, yeah, that's true. Didn't know that it went that that uh, that far into the different mixes. That's some. In, it's like what do they call that? Inside. It's like inside baseball, or whatever. Yeah. Is that what they? Yeah. Do? yeah you know, I think I think the backups actually added added to that record, especially in Take a Stand too, because yeah, you know when so we too. play that live, everybody's singing that. You know? Yeah. When we did the original session uh, for backups. It was like, it was the. I don't the, think we did backups, did we? Yes, we did. There's, yeah, there's a little was, bit. It was. There was, I think it was like the four of us. I think Richie was there. I think I feel like Mark Ryan might have been there. I feel like there was a there was a group Maybe. of people there for that the original track at Electric Reels. There was a session for backups. I think um, in the beginning of Honesty, it's just you saying one, two, original, three, four, right? On the wishing well, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the wishing well one, just Drew. And then fourteen-year-old uh, Drew. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like it was it was there definitely was uh, a group of us for the last session I was there for at Electric Reels that, that had a big backup session with a bunch of people. And I, I kind of remember it being like Mark Ryan and the four of us and Richie was there. Uh, so yeah, but I, I'd like to. That's know. right, because we did the we did the backup vocals on Break Down yeah, the Walls. That's I remember even like doing. It, it reminded me of like when like I see you hide hide like doing that whole like call and response thing. So. Yeah, I know that was a session at that point. So, yeah. Javier. Yes. Uh, what's your hot track, brother? Listen, I thought that it was going to be Standing Hard because I love fast hardcore. Hey, I want to tell you a real quick story. One time, me and John LaCroix and a couple other people drove to fucking Phoenix to see Throwdown, and we listened to the Project X CD, and we listened to the song Cross Me, 31 times in a row just starting it over and starting over because i love just fucking fast short hardcore songs but we got that idea from the abused blow your brains out oh god i love that six shit. second song we were like we gotta write a six second song yeah but <laughs> based on standing heart i love that my hot track is thinking straight and mm. This is a first. It's a first. This is a first. And but more 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 so for the music than the lyrics. I mean, yeah, the lyrics are great. It's an anthem, but it has everything. Like it's fast. It's got catches. It's very dynamic. And then, like you said, that fucking skank part at the end. So good. Like you cannot help when you hear it. You're just like, just two stepping in your fucking room. It's a total skank part. It is. Skank yeah. part. It's it's almost got like threads of circle jerks in a way, yeah. like those yeah. those West Coast. It's like punk. It is. Yeah. It's very punk, and maybe yeah. that's why I like it. You but. can totally do do like this that. to it. Yeah. You could pick up change. I'm, you could do I'm a just, lot of different moves to it. I'm I'm almost speechless right now because we have not agreed on <laughs> we have not agreed on anything. Yeah. Like for the first eight episodes or whatever we're at uh my, the last question that i have before we wrap this up if you weren't eating meat and you're all like 18 years old how did you get your muscles to look like that on this fucking album cover you all have like ripply biceps and you're like glistening it just looks like uh like an exercise you know <laughs> motivational thing especially richie's got like fucking crazy delts in his abs and capo and richie both and even 14 year old drew has 
has uh, his little drummer biceps at this point. So right. did you have like a workout regimen at this point? You know, you know what? We were like, sh we were like um, shamelessly anti-punk. Like when everybody else was just like, you know, um, uh, live fast, die young. Yeah. We were just like, we're not going to be like that. We're into health. We're right. into fitness. Like we exercise. And guess what? It's freaking cool. You want to know is. what's uncool? Smoking your cigarettes, freaking drinking your 40s, sniffing your glue, you know, looking like you're dead by the time you're 20 years old. That's not cool. We're going to do a bunch of push-ups and we're going to do a bunch of sit-ups. And if you can't wrap your heads around that, we're into a whole different thing, dudes. Well, like, the thing is now is our, you're in your 50s. All of you guys are in your 50s, early 50s. And you're still doing that. You're still doing fucking push-ups and yoga and eating well and living well. Look at, look and, at Drew, man. The guy yeah, looks like exactly. he's freaking 18. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you guys are like, you're, it, it is a testament to you lived those lyrics. It wasn't just a phase. It wasn't, it wasn't. just something. And you, if, if anyone today meets you, the th especially the three of you, Capo, Porcel, Drew, you look healthy and you should be proud of what, you should be proud of that, I think. Proud of who you are, what you say and what you, you do. Exactly. <laughs> You're all standing hard and, and pushing up hard. It's funny though, uh, because again, it's one of those things I think that caused a, a reaction, you know, maybe in a lot of places, like a, it was like, um, you know, I think of like in different areas where people were like, you know, again, like all these guys are a bunch of jocks. Like, you know, they wear sports gear, you know, they're in shape. This isn't punk, this isn't hardcore. But again, when you start developing a scene and it has an energy around it and you start multiplying it and people are getting into this, maybe because, you know, and I was talking to Walter about this recently. It's like, if like he was talking about being from the Rockaways. And if you're like, you know, a young kid who's punk and you're in the Rockaways and you look like a punk, you're gonna get like, there's a good chance you're gonna get beat down. You know, as things started like developing with this youth crew thing, he's like, you know, if I was gonna wear like some champion stuff and some high tops and start trying to like look more like, you know, this, like a youth crew kind of character, like it was, I was able to get away with being a little bit more accessible, but a lot of the punk rock scene, I feel like, was reactionary to that. It was like, ah, yeah, I don't know if, how I feel about this, you know? Yeah. So we kind of had, I think it made it, make it our own, develop this thing. And it was, you know, it became kind of like a standard. And Youth of Today was definitely a standard bearer for that, for that image. Definitely. Yeah. And I always say it made it yeah. so much more relatable because like, I'm just a kid from the suburbs at the time. Right. And exactly. I see guys that aren't, you know, my parents weren't going to let me have pink hair right. uh, or have like, you know, all these like piercings and, right. you know, dressed in a leather jacket. So it was like right. seeing guys just wearing like t-shirts and right. shorts and sneakers right. was huge. And you know what? I, I exactly. tell you, I, it's, it's hard. Yeah. To, it's hard to realize what the New York scene was like, but it took guts to dress like that and go to a CBGB's yeah. matinee. Yeah. It's true. Like you're going to go to agnostic front show and I'm wearing like my football jacket Mm -hmm. And like, I, you know, whatever, right. I just got like, you know, a flat top or something like people are just looking at you like, who is this? You know, it was just, it, it was like, it was like, you know, 
the punk of the punk because right. you would yeah. go to punk scenes yeah. and you would look yeah. weird. Yeah. 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 But you want to know something? That was like, I felt more comfortable wearing those types of clothes than I did trying to pose and like get a mohawk and like, you know, studded yeah. leather jackets. Like that just wasn't me. So it was just sort of me just being honest, like, this is who I am. Hey, I am a jock. I was on the football team. Big deal. Mm -hmm. Like I can still be in, I can still be into hardcore. What's so weird about it? Right. And right, I think that that, that parlayed later into both you guys bands, right. you know, with shelter, you were being honest with yourself and it's kind of like, I don't care what you think. And into another, you're right. being honest, like, Hey, this is Absolutely. what we're into. This yeah, isn't like some kind of like costume. This is right. what we're into. And I feel like it was always kind of like, um, somehow for me, it was a reaction to the reactionary. It was like, if you, you know, once you find that once I found there was so many, a certain amount of people going this way, it was just kind of that nature of like, I want to go that way. And yeah. like, like Joan was saying, it's like, I feel like um, it was tough to go be in that crowd. Like you're supposed to be around this like punk people and you're on the scene. So we were kind of, it was, it was a reaction to that. I feel like it was going our own way with this. It became its own big thing. But when, by the time that it started to develop into that or to a point where it was so big, I was already sort of going, well, I might want to, or the other way now so it's yeah it's, it's interesting yeah uh, it, it was it definitely became a monster that's for sure yeah, Listen, it drew yeah. marcel i'm so happy yeah. that you guys could join us seriously um, thank you we have yes. a lot of records to cover coming up and you played on a lot of them both of you so we are going to be tapping you um in the future for this stuff right and um man i, I i'm just so stoked that you both could join us here today thank you so much oh, yeah yes crook dude i'm so glad to see you man we got to hang my brother yeah. it's so good man <laughs> i know we got we'll i love this guy right I know. and one of the best people i've ever played on stage with for sure Actually, yeah So look, I say this, I, I've already said this like the past three episodes or whatever, but I'm constantly blown away by the things that we're doing and the people that we get to talk to. And for Drew to jump on that call, like we were setting up, for those of you who, who couldn't see, we're setting up for the interview and poor Cell just goes, oh yeah, but let me get Drew on the phone. And he just calls him. And Drew's like, yeah, I'm on the subway right now, but when I get home, I'll sign on. And, and our faces were all like, we're like, what? So sure enough, halfway through the interview, I get this notification that Drew's trying to sign on. And I was like, oh my God, here we go. And so that's just like a layer. And something cool that I hope keeps happening with this podcast is that we're talking to not the usual suspects. Like I've never heard drew talk about youth of today especially on a podcast and i was today years old when i found out that drew was like 14 years old when he yeah. did this and the other thing is too like and i didn't want to get too fanboy but like drew for me and javier especially like we both love bold and we both love into another yeah so like i was just super excited and i wish we had a recording of 
the the one when he was on the phone conversation he, yeah literally uh, he didn't he's like yeah that sounds great and you know uh he said like i was just talking about that podcast with walter yeah so mind course, blowing yeah again we were like whoa so yeah you know, we're just super flattered um i and it sounds funny and i feel like it almost sounds disingenuous is it disingenuous or yeah disingenuous disingenuous when i say I didn't expect this many people to care. No, not at all. I didn't. I no. figured most people be like, oh, Greg, like, what does he know? He's an idiot. I'm not going to listen to this podcast. Well, you know, it's interesting because one of the, as we've said before too, one of the criticisms of this podcast is that we may sound like we don't have all the answers and that we don't talk about all the pressings and this and that. But I think that that's cool. And not everybody that's listening has those answers either. They're, we're all on this journey together, and I'm not ashamed of that. I'm Same. not ashamed that I don't have a fucking wishing well copy of this record. When I The first time I bought Break Down the Walls was the Youth of Today Bold Split CD. And that's how I consumed both of those bands. And I think that that's fucking cool. It's weird and cool. And maybe explains a lot about me as well. <laughs> yeah, because I think Porcel was telling us before we started recording that the entire batch of those CDs was defective. Yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea that they that it sounded and yeah, weird. I I don't own a wishing well either, and I figure this is a good way to reach out. If someone has one on black, because I don't need. I know the color's expensive. I see they usually go for like a hundred bucks. I'll pay like a hundred bucks if it has an insert. So. Yo, I was uh, <laughs> me, bit at bow to yeah, sh- <laughs> holler at Greg if you want to sell your wishing well. Um, but another bit at bow to Kyle Whitlow for his blog. Is it Seeking the Simple? Yeah. Uh, okay, so that blog, if you want to know anything about Revelation Records pressing info, uh, seekingthesimple.wordpress.com. There's actually a really great feature on Break Down the Walls that has like all of the different covers, all the different labels. He's got the fucking rejected test press. He's got promo. He's got the colors. It's wild. And that we don't need to talk about all those. We don't, we, we just do not need to talk about all those different presses. Right. Well, the other thing is, is that like, you know, I, and I've had several people and, and I get it because part of the thing with Revelation that we touched on last week with, with uh, Ray and Jordan is that they were, you know, those dudes were collectors. So they started the label with the idea that we're going to have all these limited colors and things, you know, Ray referred to as their own currency. And I do get that. But when we ask a lot of the bands, like they don't even remember. And, yeah. you know, a lot of this, like, people that even you would think would know all the stuff don't know. So it's just, you know, it'll come up, but I think now, why don't we go into, you know, the, uh, our personal connections to break down the walls. Well, I got to tell you, this is not my favorite youth of today record. So I don't, I don't, I don't know that I don't want to say that I don't have a personal connection to it, but I have, more of a connection with another Youth of Today record. So when I look at this record, I see, like I said before, I see the blueprints. I see the groundwork. I see this is how a hardcore band should look. 
this is how a hardcore band should sound. This is how backups should sound. This is how, like, how short they should be. This is how a record should be laid out. And this is how, like, the work ethic and also how cool, and when I say cool, I mean nice, a hardcore band should be. Because they were talking about how they were jocks, you know, and they looked like the asshole football players that you got beat up by in high school. But these guys are fucking cool. Like, I I enjoy talking to these guys. I always have. I'm, like, I'm a nobody hardcore kid, and I've never been big time by these guys, personally. No. I mean, Um, we have to give an extra bit of bow always to Purcell just because he always is willing to just answer our questions and, you know, come and and talk and stuff. And so I actually have a deep personal connection to this record, even though it's also not my favorite Youth Today record. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to talk about what that is. So, like, my my exposure to Youth Today was the Disengage 7-inch. You mean and the self-titled seven inch? I know. I think I think it's <laughs> the self-titled final seven inch that was basically, I think, recorded after they broke up, or I don't know if they ever played on it. Again, we'll save that for when that one comes. But um, so I had heard that. I don't even know if I owned it. And then a few months later, when I was at a record store, I was at uh, a bit of boat of Siren Records in Doylestown. I've been going there now 25 years, Doylestown, Pennsylvania. And I saw a copy of this record. Um, and I'm holding up the 88 version of Break Down the Walls on Revelation. So the first pressing uh, release. And I saw a copy of it and I went, Youth It Today. I really like that, that you know, disengage. Let me check this out. And I got the record. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was more into CDs then, but I think they just only had the record. So I was like, well, I guess I'll play the record. And I got the CD later, the, the regular version, not the remix. And... I played it and I was like, is this the same band? Because his vocal sounds so different. So different. Yeah. So it, it took me by surprise because this doesn't have the melody of, of Disengage and, you know, Modern Love Story and Envy, you know, all that stuff. But I grew to really dig it. And I remember being then in ninth grade. So this was like eighth grade. I got the record. Summer before eighth grade. Or summer before ninth grade. And there was this kid in my school named Mike DeVito and he, Bo, Mike DeVito. He's, I, I heard he passed away. <laughs> oh shit. He was, oh. um, he was like a Hesher dude. Like he had like, like he wore like a black t-shirt jeans, had long hair, uh, you know, loved Ozzy Osbourne and ACDC. And he wanted to beat me up. He wanted to kill me. Like he literally wouldn't like knife me. Right. Wow. So I, I, because and the reason for this is because we had a duty aid do you have those at your school like a recess aid or whatever at school no so we had like these old ladies that would volunteer and like preside over recess you know like while we're out as kids they'd be the ones that blow the whistle for us all to come in there was this lady named eleanor grove and she had a voice like this like a trucker you know and this dude was obsessed with her for some reason and he used to say that he was possessed by her and the devil and stuff. And I made fun of him and he word got out that I, I did this and he's bigger than me. And he, you know, I start ninth grade the summer that summer before him and another kid came and this other kid beat me up on his behalf while he sat and watched. So Jeez. it's, <laughs> this is so convoluted and long, but 
I might be worth it. So I have this record. I, I get home from my first day in ninth grade. I'm petrified. I don't want to go back. I think I even talked to my parents about dropping out of school because I'm definitely afraid of this guy. And I put on this record and I hear the song, Take a Stand. And even though that wasn't my hot track that I voted, hey, I heard nice. that song and it hit me so fucking hard, man. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to school the next day. And I went to school. And it was literally like this, this was one of those albums that just, it hit so hard. And I didn't hear the other Youth of Today stuff, Can't Close My Eyes or We're Not In This Alone for maybe like two years. Oh, year, wow. Years after this. So um, I have a super special place for this album because of that. Because I feel like that was, and that really made me, it made so many different things in my life click. Yeah. Shit, that's fucking wild, man. But, yeah. And, so I did, and later on, Mike DeVito was nice to me, uh, you know, when we were adults, but I, I, I heard he passed away. I don't know. It's funny because in 2020, PMA can be considered like corny, right? People are kind of anti PMA. And if you're positive, it's like frowned upon or whatever. But the more I talk about it and like just listening to Porcel and you in this episode, I'm like, well, there's nothing wrong with being positive, man. It's actually pretty fucking cool. And like right. cool, cool things happen <laughs> to you. So like, and, and like this, like, like literally if, if they didn't write a song, like take a stand, I, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, literally like I can say it now, like I was home, like in tears. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to go to school. I'm going to get knifed. Cause I used to have to walk to school, even though we lived like over a mile away. I don't know how it worked. We didn't have a bus. And I was like, this dude's going to come. And you know, I'm short, like I'm not even five foot five. And, but then I heard this album and, and I heard take a stand and I was like, you know what, whatever. And then I, I, I kind of never really looked back and was just like, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. And if, if it comes down to it, I'm going to have to defend myself. And, and it never did, but. I really it, owe a lot to this to this record. You know, I'm I'm almost done, and I've I've talked about it. I think on this podcast, I'm reading Sam McFeeder's newest book, Mutations, and there's a whole chapter in there about youth of today and his like negative views on youth of today. And I don't want to dive into that, or you know, no spoilers, but might be book, a good bonus episode. I have yo, a book here. I haven't I'll, read it yet. Let's see if we can get Sam on an episode to talk about Youth of Today. Yeah. I'm sick of it all because mm -hmm. there's a lot of history there. And, a lot and I'm of, a Born Against fan too, by the way. I'm a fucking yeah. huge Born Against fan. Like yeah. crazy okay. rabid. I think the only bigger Born Against fan out there is uh, Bit Up Bo to Chase Corum. Because Chase Corum has the most insane, I believe the most insane Born Against record collection in the world. He's got like a bunch of the masters and like plates and acetates and all kinds of crazy shit like that. It's wild. But anyway, so it, it was really interesting reading about what people's negative view of about youth of today, like from day one and from uh, a regional standpoint and a, like maybe considering them interlopers or whatever it is. But the reality is, is when you're on the other side of the fence and when you're talking to them and listening to them, 
and hanging out with them either from day one or now they're just fucking cool and they're still living it everyone Mm -hmm. who played on this record is still involved in playing music yeah and in most cases you know hardcore i mean bold still play bold Um, sick of it all uh into another i know it's not a pure hardcore band but it's underdog yeah like Mm -hmm. shelter yeah so it's cool man and it's like i said it's it's all these guys are friends and the fact the fact that like you know purcell texts drew well no calls drew calls him yeah drew i mean drew sounded hey sounded super excited to hear from him (laughs) and these guys are have been friends since like 1985 um that's awesome. And you yeah, mentioned yeah. too, I wanted to, uh, one bit of bow I forgot in, it, in our newly anointed uh, shout, shout it. it section is I want to bit it bow um, good and plenty zine. Oh um, my God. The, the, they sent Drawdown Books, sent Javier and I each a copy of this uh, good and plenty fanzine book. Yo, uh, listen, I, I want to do a bonus episode just about the good and plenty hardcore zine book i'm as soon as i get finished with the sam mcfeeders book i'm going to read that good and plenty book cover to cover it is so nicely done it looks like a fucking graphic design textbook yes and it's Mm -hmm. got super interesting interviews from the original zine and people interjecting now so yep. Walter i would trifles writes a, yes. a, a really heartfelt forward about it and just has you really nostalgic for pre-internet time yeah so, so draw wanna, down books yeah draw dash down.com mm-hmm. the 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 book is available um on their website it's the good and plenty fanzine collection it is worth every penny that you're going to pay for it because it is just an awesomely put together book um, if you like fanzines, if you like hardcore, especially they have one issue that has like Gorilla Biscuits, Instead, Bold, Brotherhood. Um, That's the issue. shit that I do like. Yeah. So get <laughs> a bow to, to good and plenty fans. Yeah. And we do a lot of research for these episodes. And by research, I mean, we read the Record Aficionado book. Uh, this week, I looked at... Is it Live Suburbia or Live Suburbia? The um the Max G. Anthony Popularda's books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I and Radio Silence. I even was looking at the fucking Encyclopedia of Punk Rock because yeah, there's, a there's ton of books. So we love looking at reading these books and studying about what we're trying to do, and mostly because we just. We like, we enjoy this. That's what I was going to say. Like I would, I would be reading this stuff anyway, (laughs) but it's cool to like read it and get to reference it and um, you know, all this other stuff. So, well, before we go, we have to get Jason's personal connection to the record, break down the walls. Oh, so, so it's funny because like you both, uh, Disengage was the first seven inch that I heard and Disengage when we get to that, the self-titled, when we get that, I can go on forever about that record and how much I love it. Um, I got that on a mixtape and on that mixtape was the uh, bold seven inch that you today disengage quote unquote seven inch. 
And then I went down to uh, use record store and I picked up a tape of Break Down the Walls, put it in, and I was like, this sounds fucking crazy in comparison to Disengage. Like the vocals are just like real raw, real fucking. The record is just a, to me, a different youth of today than Disengage. You know what I'm saying? You've got yeah, for sure. the Disengage youth of today, you've got the We're Not in This Alone youth of today, and you have Break Down the Walls youth of today. So, um, then I heard the Take a Stand Live record, which, Hob, you said you like that one a lot, right? Yeah, dude. Slow down, dude. <laughs> Slow down. <laughs> and all the covers, they fucking cover Cro-Mags. That's how I first Warzone. heard Cro-Mags. Dude, that's an ins- uh-huh. that yeah. is an insane live record. It's good. Yeah, but so then after I heard that record, the live record, I went back and then really Break Down the Walls just grew on me huge. And I love the record. And I love that in... 2020 and we didn't really talk about this with porcel or drew but the new meaning that the song break down the walls holds yes in 2019 like i felt the energy in the room for that song and it it just feels different now i saw them in their 99 reunions i drove up to connecticut for those two shows i saw them at the rev 25 where they did do a break down the walls lineup Right, Drew played. Uh, I wanted to ask Drew played drums on that, yeah. right? Yes, correct. I, I'm pretty sure Drew. So let me tell you my my funny story. I'm Richie walks right in front of me, stops, is texting on his phone, and I have an into another tattoo. And I'm like, Richie, I have this into another tattoo. It's the first tattoo that I ever got. He was like, Oh man, that's awesome. Uh, I gotta go. I'm gonna go play a. I'm gonna go play a song. I'll break down the walls. And then <laughs> NB, NBD, just, just about to go play a song. Yes. It was so, but it was just like such a nice, like interaction with him. Um, oh, he's a great, he's a then, great guy too, Richie. I'm, I'm excited to hopefully, uh, we'll will it into the universe for into another and yes. for yeah. underdog. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I want to talk to him. But it sounded different. You know, when he was playing, when, when Richie was playing with them, it sounded, the band sounded like to break down the walls lineup you know what i mean yeah well so, i've never um, seen them as a five piece so the only times okay. i've seen you to today mm-hmm. uh you know uh, one up played with them at the knife or death fest in 2004 so uh okay. that was ken olden on bass yeah i was just gonna sammy, say i think and sammy think on drums ken olden played okay. bass at rev 25 for a bit too right and then i saw them in a few years later in philly with Ray Purcell, Ken Oldman on bass, and Vinny on drums, and then finally okay. I got to see you know the Walter and Sammy lineup. But it's cool too because with Youth of Today, no two Youth of Today records sound the same. Yeah, right? I know you were touching on that too, Jason. I think but yeah, like, they everyone has a, a unique sound. Like it, they don't sound the same, and it could be attributed to you know well different I- studios, different players you know all kinds yeah. of things but I, they're yeah. also a progression i think because can't close my eyes is so raw and so fast raw. and then mm-hmm. break down the walls is still raw but it's more refined Focused. we're not in this alone is just like fucking so powerful and yeah. then the self-titled seven inch it's everything about it sounds different it's more polished yeah. it sounds bigger i mean it's only three songs and yeah. so it's like this you get to watch these kids grow up through their records yeah yeah it really is. it's like watching yeah. like uh 
you know, an old TV show where that lasts for a while and there's like a kid in the beginning and yeah. then by the end, Boy Meets World. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's it's cool. But and, not but, not to not to beat the point to death, but you know, just obviously hearing the song "Break Down the Walls" when you have some horrible fucking uh, asshole president that's trying to divide us by building up walls, it just yeah. takes on a whole new. I meaning. know, so. and it, that's why I said these these lyrics, and that's what I was saying in the, in with Porcel and Drew. But these lyrics are timeless. Yes, they're not dated. Yes, they're not. They they're so relatable. Preach. And I don't even care. You don't even have to be straight edge or no. or whatever to to oh, really yeah. identify with these lyrics. And that's why almost 25 years, no, I'm sorry, almost 35 years after this is recorded, we're doing a podcast where we're talking about this and people are going to listen to it because they freaking love youth today as much as we do. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I think they have a great legacy. Um, and as cliche as it is, they changed my life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm super thankful. So I think, yeah. listen, I have to say to Greg, I think the first time that we ever hung out was the night that Youth of Today played. It was. The this Sandy is hardcore. And I can, I'm getting like tingly right now <laughs> because I, that was one of like top five best hardcore sets I've ever Absolutely. seen since. I always said it was tied for man. my, one of my yeah. favorite, like, the the one another one that um resonates for me that i mean it's not really relevant to right now but for me it just i was like it's almost as good as when i saw bane at uh the edge day 2000 when they played with in my eyes last show cuz they weren't the headliner or anything and mm -hmm. and it was in like worcester i think so it was like their home area and it was pure insanity and that's like what youth of today was like and there's something about having like walter and sammy there oh my god because, what an electric performance right and yeah. because for all Fuck. of us without giving spoilers that's like th they played on the records that i like the most man seeing yeah. walter play bass yeah and just smiling the whole time singing along to the <laughs> songs the the that night at this is hardcore and you can watch this on youtube from hate five six it was electric. Yeah. Oh, yes. It, the feeling in the room, and all of us were there me, you, Billy, Lewis, uh, like so many people. So Follow many. Them. Yeah. Like so many of my friends. I just look around and I just see my friends moshing and stage diving and along. It was, oh, oh my yeah. God. It was, and like that was that, their first US show with that lineup. Yeah. Since the City Gardens 94. Mm reunion oh, so yeah i feel like we also need to do a bit of bonus episode just about the city gardens reunion show yeah sure why not fuck it so anyway all right i could keep going on wait I think we're so <laughs> next week what do we got next week a big we got a big episode next <laughs> yeah. week Holy you know what shit. jason what do we got next week jason <laughs> what do we have next week i suck i don't know what it is <laughs> we have rev 009 Think, wait, let's give him a hint. Your band was named after a track on this record. Oh. Mm. <laughs> after a lyric on this record. Yeah. No, I should have known this. We got, we got fucking Speak Out. Yes. Bold Speak Out. Yo. Bold Speak Out. Another we'll go into a more. 
look at the graphic design on that fucking record. That's why I said let's let's save that. My God, just want to buy that? What? Oh, yeah, a you got to save it. But you pick that up, you just want to fucking buy it. Yeah. Yes. Bit it bow. Hey, shout out, bit it bow, to Ryan from Meep Meep Podcast. Yes. Uh, he is our first ultimate fan on Patreon. And he also is just does a really great podcast. And we would be remiss if we didn't give him a special shout out. Absolutely. And, and the podcast, it's, it's a, we've touched on it before, but it's about Roadrunner Records. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll say that Ryan, as a host, has the power to keep me engaged yeah. with records I've never heard. Yeah, he's, right. He's, he's doing uh, episodes with bands that I've never even heard of of on roadrunner but die like monster not, die and it actually sounded cool they're like it's like indie pop it's yeah. weird it's not like metal but like he's he's a great host and yes. the episodes get better i think at first i heard like the typo negative one I'm like what is this guy doing he's not that into typo negative whatever but he's really coming to his own it's it's a great list yeah if you if you want to check this podcast out i suggest you start with the sepultura chaos ad episode and then work your way around that because uh one of the guys from harm's way is on that episode and it's just a really great listen yeah and, i agree um, so Start shout with out that one and then bit about uh, ryan all right we'll see you ever see we'll see, blah, 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 blah. We'll see you next week <laughs>